Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, thank you very much for that. I'm going to choose to see it as eight months early rather than four months late, so thank you very much for that. Uh, before I preach, I just want to let all the parents of youth group students know that the youth group leadership has made the call to cancel youth group after service today, so there will be no youth group service after our service is done here. So please be mindful of that and take your teens straight home. Um, <clears throat> I want to start just by saying, as has already been said a couple times, thank you for battling the elements and showing your commitment to the Lord and to one another. Uh, I've been so humbled and encouraged by your devotion to Christ this morning. And I know others, you know, today's the snowfall was very regional. Some parts got really dumped on other parts. Uh, the snow got cleared a little earlier. And so some people, I think, have made the very wise choice not to risk it and to stay indoors. But we have put out the call that everybody in our church family at 10 o'clock would just set their time aside and be focused on worshiping the Lord so that together in spirit, we are in front of God as one family. Thank you for being here this morning. And I hope that you will really be encouraged by the intimacy that we share this morning. We've been working through a series on how to have life-changing conversations. And in one sense, that's code for evangelism, meaning evangelism is really not about selling people something or trying to convert somebody from one lifestyle to another. It is about engaging in a conversation where a person, through the course of that dialogue, comes to see God differently and meets Jesus Christ the Savior in a very deeply personal way. And so we've been trying to train you because even though we say those things, it's not always that easy to know how to strike up a conversation and how to engage others, whether outside the faith or even inside the church. I think conversation, real conversation, is a lost art today. And so we're trying to offer some practical and biblical guidance on how to do that better. And this morning, I want to look at the, the art of listening, because I think listening is definitely a dying art. Would you guys agree with me? That we live in a country, it's very high on noise and talking and very low on really listening to what other people are saying. So I want to look at James's admonition this morning that comes from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. Here's what it says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Later this evening, most of us will be watching Super Bowl 49, right? Who's not going to watch the Super Bowl today? Anybody just planning to boycott it altogether? All right, that's fine. God bless you. I am going to be watching that Super Bowl. And if you're looking at the sidelines, you're going to see something that looks kind of like this. Have you ever noticed these guys? That is really grainy looking, but it almost looks like a Minecraft picture. But it's basically a guy on the sidelines pointing a parabolic microphone. Do you know what that is? 
There's basically a giant salad bowl with a microphone just embedded, floating right in the middle of it. And the way it works is it focuses incoming sound waves so that all the sound coming from the direction you're pointing at will come bounce off the inside of the bowl, get focused at one point, and that's where the microphone is. So it's like a telescope for the ears. And using this parabolic mic, they're able to aim it at the players, and you, could be, you would be amazed at the way it picks up individual voices in the midst of all the chaos of an NFL game. In the midst of all that noise, when you focus the listening, you're able to pick up things you would not believe you can hear, and it has everything to do with the focus. That voice is not louder, it's just being heard in a very intentional way. And I think it's a good illustration for the way we need to learn and to grow in listening, is that it is such a noisy world that if you're going to hear anything at all, truly hear what other people are saying, where they really are in life, you're going to have to focus the way that you listen. In, in his admonition, James says, let's look at it again, be quick to listen and slow to speak. That word quick is the, word, the Greek word from which we get the English word tachometer. Tachometer, okay? And so really what he's saying, it's about a burst of speed, revving it very high. Every time you get a chance to listen, pedal to the metal, step on the gas, you should be very quick to listen, and you should be riding the brake when it comes to speaking. And the truth is, you have all gotten, you know it's the same for me, I've gotten into more trouble with my mouth than with my ears. Wouldn't you agree with that? I have sometimes misheard things and made a mistake. Oh, so stupid of me. I heard it wrong. And I've gotten into some trouble. But I've gotten into far more trouble with this thing. There are times when I say a thing and I'm like, oh, I really wish I, I wouldn't have said that. You know what I'm talking about. Even as the words are escaping your mouth, you know you're in for it. That was a really big mistake. And so he's saying, in light of this, be wise And learn to shut up and be much more hesitant to talk and much more anxious to listen. If you do that, if you approach life this way, things will go better for you. You will have better relationships and you will grow in wisdom and understanding. And I'm going to share with you uh, from this passage a few observations about different aspects of the art of listening. But I want to give this caveat right away, this disclaimer. I I have a lot to learn about being a good listener. In preparing this message, it has occurred to me just how much room there is for me to grow in this art of listening. I find it very difficult sometimes to not talk and to really hear what somebody in front of me is really trying to say. And so I want to encourage you to tune in with me this morning and consider just how good a listener are you? And by the way, quiet people, please don't make the mistake of thinking that because you already don't talk much, you're a good listener. It's separate skills. It's great that you've already majored on the not talking part, but I want to really encourage you, grow in the listening part as well. Be attentive to these words. The first observation I want to make is that listening is loving. Listening is loving. I really believe that to listen to another human being, really listen to them, is one of the kindest acts of love we can demonstrate in our present culture. James begins this passage by reaching out to his audience with a very, very intimate greeting. 
He calls them dear brothers and sisters, which if you translate it differently, says those who I deeply love with an unconditional love. What he's really saying is, you are not just people to me, you are my family. The way a person might think about the brother or sisters they grew up with that they truly deeply loved. And he's starting with this intimate tone because what he's saying is, as he trains us to listen more and speak less, it's not because he's trying to teach us how to have better relationships, but he's trying to tell us basically, this act comes not out of concern for ministry, it's not a skill, but it arises out of a deep love we have for other people. I think in in our world today, most people are very, very happy to give you their words, their opinions, their viewpoints and thoughts, but they're not as interested in receiving the same things back from you. Do you ever feel like that? Like you're being talked at all the time, but when it comes to your turn to really express your heart, nobody seems that interested in you. That after your friend has basically spewed at you and told you everything on their mind, everything on their heart, you're like, yeah, I also, yeah, that's great. Thank you for listening. And they just kind of want to move on. Not everybody has that experience, but I think more and more people are feeling that isolation and disconnection from other people. That it's one of the reasons so many people experience deep inner tension. They experience emotional trauma because nobody is listening anymore. Parents, can I just challenge you? I know not everyone here is a parent, but everybody has a parent, and you know exactly what it felt like to be on the other end of this. It is so common for parents to just stop listening, really listening to their kids. Because we're always going to be older than them, smarter than them. We have them figured out. We know your tricks. We know all your angles. There you go again. Oh, my gosh. And parents do this. The only reason some of us are married is to have someone to roll our eyes at, right? You're like, oh, Lord. Just an inside joke. Look at there. They go again. Here he comes. He's going to ask for dessert. And when he doesn't get it, he's going to come ask you. Just watch. Just watch. And there it goes. And so we've got our kids figured out. And at some point, we check out and we really just stop listening. And the person is growing, they're evolving, they're struggling to be different, but nobody is listening, and so they struggle with this feeling that it doesn't matter if I have a voice, it's not useful in this world, because nobody is listening to me. It's so rare to be listened to today that people are willing to spend like $150 for 30 minutes with a shrink just to pay somebody to listen to them. And I just watched, in preparation for this week's message, I watched that classic Bill Murray movie, What About Bob? Man, what a film. at, At one level, it's so stupid. At another level, it is genius. It is so insightful and complex. I would really encourage you to watch that movie. And I realized these psychiatrists, psychologists, they, they make money just listening and asking questions. They almost never say anything. They're just like, what do you, what do you think about that? Why do you think that's happening to you? And how does that make you feel? And as they do this, what the real value is, finally, someone on this planet is letting me take the stage and they're listening to what I have to say. I think one of the reasons we're not that good at listening is that we are very uncomfortable with the pain of others. Would you agree with that? When somebody's very, very sick, how many of you just love going to the hospital on that visit? Hey, listen, um, my relative is very sick. Will you come visit with me? How many of you are like, awesome, I'm going to cancel all my plans. I love visiting very sick people in the hospital. 
It's uncomfortable. When somebody just went through a, a hard divorce, when somebody's kid ran away from home, when they've been in a terrible accident, when they lost their job, when anyone's going through pain and suffering, that pain in other people's lives makes us feel very uncomfortable and unsure of ourselves. And I think because of that discomfort, so often our impulse is to just jump right into repairing or fixing or rescuing. Ooh, man, that's, I got to do something for you right now. Can I just give you something? And often what we'll do is we'll give people logical explanations. You know why I think that's happening is, well, let me tell you, if you try this, maybe, and we're trying to fix it or explain it, sometimes just give them pat answers. Just one-line truisms we heard on a poster or a radio show, read on a blog. Sometimes you're trying to give them relevant analogies. You know, that reminds me of something else. I heard once on the radio something like this, and the person's like, what are you talking about? I'm pouring out my heart, and you're trying to deconstruct me. You're trying to analyze me, fix me, but really I'm dying right now. I'm in pain, and what I really need is someone to just let me be in pain while you sit next to me and hear me out. What's worse, sometimes we tell them a story about our own lives. That reminds me of the time I was sick. Let me tell, And we make it about us, and the other person is shriveling away because even in their pain, we're making it about our story. And I think the reason we're so quick to do that is because it's really uncomfortable to just sit in the presence of another person's pain. I felt it as a rookie pastor. I'm the person you call when you're, when you're a one-pastor church. There's one guy you call when you're sick or when your relative is sick or your parents are sick. And I had to go to the hospital all the time. And I got to tell you, when I was a young pastor, I was so intimidated by the... I'm, what do I say? What do I do? What if they go, can you heal this guy? No, I, I, I can't do anything. And I've learned to be much more at home and at peace in those settings. But I understand just how hard that is. One of the greatest loving acts we can give to a person who's struggling is our quiet company. Our patient, empathetic silence that says, I am listening to you. Tell me exactly what you're going through. I just want to hear so that you're able to give voice to everything you're going through. And it may not seem like it because in a therapeutic society, some of us are already thinking, well, what good is that? Just because they go droning on and on about their pain doesn't mean it's going to get any better. We understand that, but some pain cannot be fixed very easily. Some pain has to be ridden out. It's got to run its course. You can't just make it feel better. When someone's got a long-term illness, you can make them feel better for like a minute, but that illness is still right there. It's going to be done when it's done, and you cannot shortcut it at all. And that's why, even though we want to fix everything, there are a lot of things in life that simply cannot be repaired. They must be endured so that God will use it to reveal himself in our lives. That's why it's such a loving act, simply to be quiet and listen. Because even that alone, before you offer any therapy is something that a suffering heart longs to have, is just someone who will let them share the pain that they're feeling inside. Does that make sense to you guys? And I, I think women say this to men a lot, and we really just don't get it. I know you're saying that, honey, but I can't just listen to all this. 
and not fix it. I, I can fix your problem in like one second. Stop being a friend. Done. You're so mad at her all the time. Stop being a friend. Bam. Problem solved. High five. Let's go eat. No one's going, yeah, I hate her, but I want to be her friend. I really like her. I miss her. It's so complicated. I don't get it, but the man wants to fix. And I think women are trying to teach men all the time, shh, let me just spew and just let me be in pain. Can I just flip it around, though? And for those of you who are in pain, can I caution you to be wise in how you share your pain? If you're hurt, be hurt. Don't be angry. <laughs> if you're hurt, be hurt. Don't be bitter. You see, sometimes I go to minister to somebody who's going through a very hard time, and what I get instead is they are just spewing out venom and bile towards another person. And I get it. That person has caused a lot of their pain, and there's so much anger there, but it puts me as a listener in a very awkward position. Do you see that? Because I've come to listen to you, and you're just going, Ugh, that person, they should go to hell. I hope they die. And they're saying all these horrible things. And I'm going, if I just sit there and be like, mm-hmm, I'm agreeing with you. That person didn't hurt. I don't want to be in the position through my silence of agreeing with your bitterness and venom because that bile that you're feeling is not helping you at all. You can hate all you want, but it doesn't erase the pain. And that's why what I want to say to people in pain is, yes, you're entitled to your anger, but when you spew it out to others who want to minister to you, you put them in the worst possible spot because they're no longer seeing your pain. They're only seeing your darkness. Wives, there's a tip for you. Wives and girlfriends, if you're hurt, say, I'm hurt. Don't say, you're an idiot. You did this and you did that and blah, blah, blah. You do that to a man, he's going to be on the defensive. He's going to fight you, but if you go, I'm hurt, he's going to come rescue you. Because that's what a man does. A crying woman is going to get a man's attention, unless he's a sociopath or a complete jerk, which some men are. When you're hurt... Be hurt. Don't be angry. Because your anger will push away those who are trying to hear your heart and your story, who are trying to see past your anger to the actual pain you feel. And I'm going to tell you right now, it makes it so much easier to invite ministry and friendship and company if you push away the venom and you focus on what you're experiencing. And if you're in the position of a listener and somebody's just vomiting on you about another person, here's what I've learned to say. Hey, can we just take a time out? I get very much that you're upset and you have every right to be, but I'm really here with you and I'm here for you. Why don't you share with me what you're feeling right now? Share with me what you're going through. I'm here for you. That other person's not even on my radar right now. So tell me about your heart. And if you just say that to somebody... It calms them down all the time. They go, you know, you're right. Why am I giving this person more airtime? Forget them. Let me tell you what I feel. I feel deeply betrayed. And so on and so forth. Listening is an act of loving. Listening is also an act of learning. Listening is an act of learning. If we're already a noisy society, another flaw in our culture is people don't really like to learn that much, do they? We hear a lot, but learning is in short supply. And I think we need to recommit ourselves to being lifelong learners 
in every way. Communication is difficult because in all communication, there are two sides of that equation. There's the transmission side, which is the blah, 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 the talking part. And then on the other end, there's the receiving side, which is the hearing part. And in that thin string that connects the two ends, all the breakdown happens. You can speak with absolute clarity and everything you say is spot on and accurate. Every word, every participle, every preposition is perfectly chosen and still someone in your life will manage to misinterpret your words. Say amen if you've had that happen to you. Anybody? If you're married, just say amen by default. Okay, I mean, might as well because it's true. You could be so clear, there's no mistaking. If you took a transcript of what you said and brought it to a court of law, every judge would side with you. And yet, that's not all there is to communication. It's not just about speaking clearly, it's about hearing clearly and being heard and understood. And so you understand that with communication, breakdowns happen all the time, usually on one end or the other. My theory is that Relationships break down because communication breaks down, and communication almost always breaks down on the listening end, not the speaking end. Now, granted, there are people who don't know how to talk. Every time they try to express their feelings, it's it's like they just don't know how to say what they feel. But even those people, if you give them long enough, they'll manage in their own clumsy way to tell you what's on their heart. What I find is the most common breakdown in communication is on the listening part, we're not really hearing what the other person is saying because we're not really interested in hearing what the other person is saying. Some of you are probably not old enough to remember what these are. How many of you remember these days? Do you remember? (laughs) Oh, man. When we had like four channels in the whole universe and there's nothing ever on. But, you know, you just, you had these rabbit ears and... These things were how we got the picture. There was no cable coming out of the wall. There was just waves coming through the air, and these little antennas, rabbit ear antennas, would catch the signal and turn them into television. Quite often, a picture that looks something like this. Do you remember the old days when you're watching a Bulls game? You couldn't even tell what number or which player. You're like, I think that's our team, right? The, the white shirts. I think that's us. Did we just score? This is how we watched the Super Bowl for years. You young kids with 4K and all that, you don't even know. This was what it was like. And so this fuzzy picture was very, very commonplace. And so you'd have to reach up and sometimes you put a, a tin foil on there and you'd aim it a certain way, sometimes both in the same direction, sometimes doing the splits. And if it was really bad, by some magic, when a human hand touched it, it got better. So you got the youngest member of the family standing by the TV going, I'm tired. And if you really had a little more money, you kicked it up a notch. Next level, you you put one of these box top sets on top of your TV to add a booster to your already existing rabbit ears. We did that because we're trying very hard to catch as much of the incoming signal as we can to make a clearer picture. And if you get less signal, you have less picture. You cannot resolve it into a clear image because you're missing something very important that's coming through the air. I don't have to explain why I'm saying that, do I? I mean, you can all put it together. One of the greatest barriers to getting all the information, to really hearing what other people are saying to us, one of the greatest barriers is prejudice and bias. It's not like we have bad ears or too much earwax. Maybe you do. You should 
do something about that. But most of us, we hear just fine. We don't listen very well. The hearing is not flawed, but every time you open your mouth, I'm not just hearing your words. Do you remember that great, great line by Chris Tucker in uh, Rush Hour? I almost played the clip, but I thought it's silly, so I, I didn't bother. But he's looking at Jackie Chan. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Do you remember that line? Love that line. I wish I could put that on my phone and just play it to people. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Because there's sounds coming out. I'm forming them just right. But are you able to hear anything I'm saying? And here's the problem. When another person talks, they're never talking in a vacuum. Especially if I know them. If I've already got them neatly categorized in my life, oh yeah, you're my work friend, you're my church friend, you're my non-Christian friend, you're my dumb husband, you're my rotten teenage kid, or whatever you want to say. We've got these categories. We already have everyone figured out. We already have a theory, a good working theory of what makes you tick, what drives you, your insecurities, your hang-ups, your issues. You've already yelled at me enough, I know what makes you mad. And so as you start to talk, I'm immediately going, which category is this? They've only got three songs in their jukebox. Which one are they playing right now? And I tune out because I already think I've heard everything you have to say. This is just another version of the same old song you ever, ever say. And so the prejudice of believing I already know you shuts off that channel from you so that you cannot add anything new to my picture. I think this is the greatest barrier to really listening well, is that we already think we know everybody perfectly. I have you pegged. I have you figured out. But I don't really. Because after I got to know you at a certain point, most of us, our habit is we check out and we really stop listening. I know enough. I can run with this now. And everything that person says is past the grid of my previous experience with them. So that instead of being a learner, I'm just hearing what they say bounce off of all the echoes of everything they've ever said to me, and it's just reinforcing an existing picture. There she goes again. Every single time we have company, she's got to go through this thing. I'm tired of it. But what if on that day she's saying, no, it's not that. I'm really going through something right now. Why can't you hear that? Parents, I think we do this to children all the time. To my kids... I just got to confess to you, I know I do that to you. I know mom does that to you. I know I do too. You're trying to say something, and it's not what you've always said, but it's as if you're so frustrated because they can't tell that something's changed. I'm really saying something here. Why can't you hear me? And it's because we stop listening. There was a time when people believed this is as good as the picture could get. I shudder when I see non-HD even coming through cable. It gives me the chills. I can't believe for decades I watched television like that. I think it's possible to know people in HD. I just think we need to be a lot more intentional about suppressing our prejudices and really letting people talk to us. James says this little piece at the end of your, be slow to become angry. And I'm like, what does that have to do with 
listening and talking. I think it's because if you reach a conclusion prematurely without having all the information, one of the most common responses is anger, disdain, frustration. We're so quick to anger with other people because they say a couple words and we're all like, oh my gosh, stop it! Why is it every time with you? And before they can finish the sentence, I've already reached my verdict and I'm tired of them. I'm fed up with them. I'm sick of them. And, you know, Gottman, John Gottman, I think his name is, he's one of the the leading therapists for marriage. He says the number one killer of relationships is disdain. You know a relationship is over when one person feels disdain towards the other person. And I think that happens all the time because we hear only half of what they're saying. We got them all pegged and we can't stand how little, how petty, how stupid they are. And we shut down and we're angry, not at the situation, but at them as human being. I'm angry that you have to be my spouse. I'm angry that you're my kid. You're my mom or my dad or my friend. I'm so angry you're my boss. How did you get to be my boss? You don't deserve that job. You're an idiot. You are a monkey wearing a suit and you're my boss. That disdain you feel is existential anger because you're looking at a person with only a sliver of data and you've already reached your verdict about who they are as a human being. You see who they are today, but you don't also see who they could be tomorrow. And as a result, because we're so quick to judgment of others, we experience premature anger all the time. I think what James is warning against is The reason you're so easily angered is because you're so slow to listen and so quick to speak. And for those who are gifted with a quick mind and a quick tongue, you have a double whammy against you because it's so easy not just to jump to conclusions but to articulate them in ways that wither another person's soul. I could be totally wrong and make you feel terrible if I'm good with words. That's just the way it works. And so he says to us, Be patient. Time out for a second and really listen to what that other person is saying. Because behind those words is a heart and a story you don't really know as well as you think you do. I've been listening to this lately. Every time I wash the dishes for my wife, I, uh, well, it's not for my wife. I just do it because I should. But I also do it because it gives me an excuse to listen to the podcast. How many of you listen to Serial? You're familiar with it? It's a story, so it's the first season, but they take an old case, a, 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 like a, a crime case that still has some weird elements to it, and they start unfolding the story one episode at a time. And this dumb podcast has got me all over the place, man. Every episode, I'm like, oh, I done did it for sure. No, it was Jay. I'm pretty sure it's Mr. S. I don't know if she's even dead anymore. I, you know, and... And you just listen to all this stuff. You go, I'm so confused because every layer, every episode unfolds something new. I don't know how police detectives do it. I mean, you meet someone, you're looking right at them, you see all the evidence that you can see right now, and you're like, oh, I know exactly what happened. I've been down this road before. And it's so easy to reach your verdict before there's any trial. You got most of the evidence, but I don't know how they escape the temptation to close the case, seal it up in a bone, go, it's done. Even if new information comes to light, once you've decided your theory of the case, every new piece of evidence is held onto or discarded based on whether it fits your pre-existing picture. 
Every miscarriage of justice has happened because somebody needed to close the case and they didn't care about the evidence. The truth be damned, we got to shut the books on this one. I know what happened, never mind what I see. And I don't know how police officers can do it because it, it, it would make me nuts. I'm just an audience member and every week I'm ready to hang someone new. They all killed her. It's just so confusing because as new information comes in, my picture becomes more complete. And that's why I realize if I rush to judgment and decide too early, I am bound to make a mistake, aren't I? I'm for sure going to make a mistake because I don't know everything yet. I think we do this to people all the time. We stop being in listening mode and learning mode and instead we're going, yeah, I know you're trying to say that, but you're just trying to get away with it. I know what you're trying to do. It's not going to work. What if they're really changing and we're the ones not letting them? Because we have our verdict already and the new evidence is not swaying me one way or the other. The author of God Space, a man named Doug Pollock, wrote these words. Listening is a sensitive but assertive quest really to understand someone else. It requires you to probe, explore, and reflect back what you've been hearing to ensure that you've truly understood what's been revealed to you. What he's saying is you cannot understand what another person has said to you all by yourself. It's not allowed. In order to truly understand what another person has said, they've got to affirm your understanding. You've got to make sure that your version of their words is their version of their words. And the only way to do that is to ask good questions, to not just be a passive listener and be quiet, but to really listen in an engaged and active way. One of the best ways to do that is to ask reflective questions. And by reflective, I mean questions that bounce back my understanding to the person who's just spoken to me so I can check, do I really have it correctly? Here are some very good comments. And by the way, if you want, I can email out these slides so you don't have to write anything down. But these are some very common reflective listening questions. Some of you are very good at doing this already. Hey, so if I'm hearing you right, you crazy, right? I mean, it's a, that, don't say that last part. But let me make sure I'm tracking with you. So you're saying you feel frustrated. Is that right? Wow, you are really disappointed. What you really want me to grasp is, or it's like blank. Does that capture it? And so on. You seem to be saying, I think I hear you saying, it sounds like, in other words, what you're saying is, this is what I heard coming out of your mouth. Is it what you meant to put out of your mouth? Because if what I heard and what you're saying are different, you have the right to correct me, not the other way around. Do you know how stupid it is to have someone say something to you like, no, no, that's not what you said. This is what you said. That's what you heard, dummy. But I know what I meant to say. You got it wrong. I might have said it clumsily, but I know what I'm trying to say. Stop telling me what I said. This is how we listen, is we reflect back to make sure the person speaking has the right to say to us, this is what you're supposed to hear. It's not a court of law. If they slipped on a word, they said something clumsy or ill or misguided, give them a break. That's a technical error. It's not a relational error. 
They use the wrong vocabulary, but they have the right to tell you what's on their mind and what's on their heart. And you should not be nitpicking over one word that they said. You're like, no, 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 no. You don't get to get away with that. You said these words. Your Honor, I said, and I submit to you, Exhibit A. She said with, not in. And I'm, I'm pretty sure she meant with. I think she knows what she meant, sir. No, no, I heard. I think she knows what she meant to say. Either you heard wrong or she communicated poorly, but let her tell you what she's trying to say. Do you get the picture? That's why reflective questions are good. They are error checks. It's debugging the conversation. It's saying, so far, hold on, here's what I'm hearing. Your pastor's a complete jerk. He's abusive. You need to change churches. Have I heard you correctly? Yeah. You're right. So far, you're exactly right. That's exactly what I'm trying to say to you. I used a totally off-the-wall example because that would never happen here. But you get what I'm saying. If you're listening, be in learning mode. If you ask a question, you should actually care about the answer. Don't ask questions and not be interested in the answer. Don't ask kids things like, why'd you do that? I already know why. You're stupid. That's wrong. When you ask a question, listen for the answer. You'd be amazed what you could learn when you do that. Let me give you one last observation. Listening is liberating. It sets people free. Let me explain what I mean by this. James explains to us that there is a righteousness God is after in our lives, and if we're honest about it, that righteousness is what we want for ourselves. It's life as it was meant to be. Relationships that are working right. People who are being honest and fair and just and kind. That righteousness which is described again and again in the Bible is not some oppressive burden. It is in fact exactly the picture of the way we wish the world was. It's the way we wish we were and the way we wish our people were. But it's hard to get there. And what James is saying is this premature jump to anger, this jumping to conclusions and rush to judgment because we're not good at listening but so quick to speak. That impulse is destroying relationships and it's hindering people from finding the righteousness that God is after in their lives. If we could somehow do something about this problem, people could find their way to the righteousness which God desires. And this human anger is not helping at all. You can spew on someone and make them feel terrible, but it will not move either of you any closer to the righteousness which God dreams of for our world and for your life. And when you have this premature anger where you've done more talking than listening and you've figured it all out and you've jumped to a conclusion too soon, when you do that to another person, it immediately puts them on the defensive, doesn't it? Because nobody likes to be misunderstood or mischaracterized. If you try to tell me what I'm about, if you try to indict me on your understanding of me before you give me a chance to reveal myself to you, I'm not going to like that at all. I've told you the story a long time ago of a young lady at our church who she used to be one of the greatest listeners in the sermons. I, I, would, I would sometimes just stare at her preaching because she was just eating it up. And it's so encouraging to a preacher for someone to want to hear the preaching. Then one Sunday, she just stopped. You could tell. She's like this. She's just waiting for the sermon to be done. And I was so hurt. I'm like, what happened? 
my best listener and my anchor point hates me. What's going on? So finally, I approached her and said, sister, something's up. What's going on? Why do you hate being here? <sighs> All right. And she told me that she had walked past me like a month ago in the hallway at church and said, hi, Pastor Dave. And I just totally, been like, whatever. And I just walked past her. I was talking to somebody else. And that person I was talking to happened to be wealthy. And her theory was, oh, he just talks to the wealthy people because they give to the church. He's not interested in us little people, I guess. I'm not important. I don't know what she was going through, but she had this whole drama, this narrative, played out in her mind, and she felt so wounded by me. And she said, you know, Pastor Dave, the reason it's hard for me to hear you preach now is because I realize what you're really like. You're kind of arrogant. You're insensitive. You don't really see us little people. And I'm just, I'm shocked. Whoa! First of all, that's really not how I am. If if I am, I am blind to myself. But I am so sorry that happened. Now, you can understand, this sister was a little mousy. I I imagine the way she said hello to me was, Hey, Pastor Dave. For the life of me, I tried to rack my brain. I could not remember her saying, I don't even remember seeing her in the hallway. But she played out this entire story by herself. And we were now at odds with each other. And the truth is, when she first shared that with me, my first thought was, after all these years of loving on you, being gracious to you, that one thing, and you've already hung me. That's it. That's all I get. One half strike, a foul tip, and I'm out. And the human side of me like, I give up, man. Forget. Go, go find another church where everyone says hi to you all the time. I don't need this. That was my fleshly side. I didn't say it in my outside voice. I said it in my inside voice. But then I realized what was happening is, like, she was expressing hurt, but she was doing it as an accusation. That's why I was on edge. I couldn't see her pain because all I could see was the smacking I was getting on my face. I'm like, oh, I can't tell how hurt you are because you're crushing me right now. By the grace of God, a little maturity kicked in, and I squelched the desire to rebuke her and correct her, and I just apologized. I told her it may be very much the case that I didn't see you, but I would never do that to you intentionally. You mean a lot to me, and I would never do that to you on purpose. And we made amends. We're fine. No conflict. But I'm sharing that story with you to illustrate that when you attack someone out of your pain, you will never get very far because you've put that person on the defensive. They have their dignity too, whether justified or not a person will not give up their dignity very easily. When you presume about another person and you create a narrative all by yourself about what makes them the way they are, you've lost that person. And they don't feel listened to or heard or understood at all. And they're going through something real, but all you see is their bad behavior or poor performance and you're so distracted by it, you cannot minister to the pain underneath. But when you finally stop talking and really listening to what they're saying, what's happening, something amazing happens. In that loving, kind act of just listening in silence, the person finally stops defending themselves and they're able to rest. And they're able to really begin speaking now 
And here's the other miraculous thing that happens. Is that when you stop talking at a person and letting them speak to you, they finally start listening to their own words as well. From the time that I started Harvest, in 20 years, I've only once listened to my own sermon recording. I can't do it. I hate my own preaching. It makes me sick. I, ugh. And part of it is my voice sounds so weird to me. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard your own voice in a recording? You're like, who is that dweeb? Oh, man, is that really how you all hear me every week? How do you do it? I sound like a dork. My own voice sounds foreign to me when I hear it played back. But for most people, they can't hear their own voice because everybody else is too busy shouting them down. But when everyone shuts up and there's this weird silence, the person starts to talk, and for the first time, they are hearing their own words, and sometimes the very person you've been trying to fight with and battle with and convince, they go, dude, what I'm saying is whack. Now that I'm hearing myself, I sound like an idiot. Where am I getting this stuff? When other people stop attacking you and you have to be defensive, you can actually hear what you're saying, and the truth is you might talk yourself into the truth. I'm amazed when you really just listen to non-Christians what a depth of spiritual hunger is expressed, how actively they're trying to find something that makes them hope and believe. There's something there. And when people stop preaching at them, just listen to what they truly believe, what they're hoping for, dreaming of, they can finally start to, to, to put words to their own beliefs. And once in a while you hear a non-Christian say something like this, well, now that I'm just saying it out loud to you, it sounds really goofy. When I say it to myself, it kind of makes a lot of sense. But once I said it out loud, it sounds really weird to me. Maybe I should give it a second thought. We're receiving a lot of input from a ministry called Q Place. It's a ministry that helps people form conversational groups where non-Christians outnumber the Christians at least by a factor of two or three to one. And in these groups, there's no preaching, there's no dogmatic, like, proselytizing preaching. What happens is it's truly a conversation where people just get to share, what is it you really believe about things? And in that safe place of listening and speaking, people finally get to start hearing their own words. And I want to play you a video clip. Q Place got permission from one of these groups in Denver to tape all of their sessions and use them for public consumption. It's pretty risky. But this one group allowed cameras to be present during their meetings. And I want to play for you a clip of exactly the moment when this happens for one young man who was pretty articulate, pretty opinionated and dogmatic about his beliefs. But listen to this particular thing. And before I play the clip, I just want to show you this thing in, in the Q Place training manual. When we demonstrate that we are truly seeking to understand people and not change their points of view, we create a safe environment for them to open up at a deeper level. As they feel genuinely understood, they also begin to better understand themselves. And that's really what this clip is all about. Why don't you watch this clip? And we got and let's start it all over because the words yeah, are real important on this clip. Me, 
Do I need to click something? Did we just kill the video? Well, okay. We don't need to wrestle with it anymore. Let me just uh, tell you what the guy said, okay? Here's what he said. He's one of those guys who's extremely thoughtful, philosophical for his age. But then his cousin, who's a Christian, who usually has very intense conversations, was in town, and he just said, he just asked me this question, all right, seriously, dude, we're always sparring with each other. What would it take for you to be convinced? He's always got a counter for everything this Christian says. He goes, all right, you've got to, you've got to parry for every thrust that I make. What would it take? What would you have to hear or see to actually believe? And what he said is, as he thought about it, it blew him away because he realized he didn't want to believe. There was nothing. He had already made up his mind. There's nothing. It's not even about evidence or logic. He just decided there's nothing that will make me believe. I'm not interested. I've already decided what I believe, and nothing new matters anyway. So me even engaging in this sort of pseudo-dialogue doesn't matter because I'm not interested in hearing anything. I just like talking in an argumentative way. He said, just mulling over that conversation, what he realized was, I'm not nearly as open-minded and objective as I always thought I was. Because the definition of objective is that you haven't already made up your mind about everything. But that you really do want to know the truth. And if you have no answer for what would it take, then the truth is it wouldn't take anything. Nothing can move you because you're closed-minded already. Now, if I had told that young man, you know what, Jimbo, you are so unobjective. You're so pig-headed and narrow-minded. You think you're such a man of the world and a great thinker, but you don't really want to know the truth. If I said that to him, he would have fought me all day long. (laughs) Says you, you don't know me like that. I am open-minded. But when everyone shut up and they just asked him a simple probing question, did you see what happens? He talked to himself, and as he was talking, he heard his own words. And he realized, I don't know where I get this stuff. I gave myself so much credit, but when I hear my own voice, I'm not as noble as I once imagined I was. And it's been my experience again and again that if we are quiet long enough, so often the person we're trying to reach will reach themselves because remember this, you're not the only one at work. God is also very much at work. And the truth will come out. I'll wrap up with two very quick life applications. Email Pastor Seth and thank him for the fourth and fifth point to every sermon. The first one is this. Try zipping it up. If you need to learn to be a better listener, try to adopt this policy for the next couple conversations. Don't make any statements at all. Unless you're directly asked for input Don't say anything. Just listen and ask questions. People are making a fortune doing this professionally. You could do it for free. Just, really? And then what? But don't talk about their situation uninvited. Try that for one conversation 
and see what happens. You will find yourself getting very tense and very frustrated if you're not a good listener because you're like, I get a chance to talk to you, don't I have so much to say. Everything you say reminds me of another sermon I like to deliver to you. Oh, brother, you just stepped into a big pile of it now. And as a pastor, a trained preacher, when I'm talking to people, it is one of the greatest distractions for me is everything they're saying is like, oh, my gosh, the pages of stuff I could say to you about how wrong you've got it and how much I'd like you to know the truth. That's not wrong to want people to know the truth. But I'm not sure I fully heard them. I'm just using their words as a diving board for my lecture. Because I'm so ready to talk and so slow to listen. Here's how you know you have bad listening skills. Do you find yourself finishing other people's sentences? And sometimes you get it wrong. And then I totally wanted to kill her. No, hug her. (laughs) Oh, you shouldn't finish other people's sentences because you're not them. And no one likes that. It's not affirming. It doesn't feel like agreement. It just feels really annoying. Like, shut up. I can finish the sentence myself. Maybe you offer your opinion before you fully understood theirs. Or maybe you find yourself rehearsing your next line. And as a result, you're not even sure what they just said to you. Maybe you frequently interrupt what they're saying because you don't want to lose your great idea while they drone on and on. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you move on, can I just say something? I have a lot of these habits. (laughs) That's why I can't be a small group leader. That's why I'm not a great counselor. I just like to talk way too much. I really need to practice the gag rule. And so zip it up. And here's another little life application of practice tip. Try learning to write it down. After every significant conversation for the next couple weeks, try getting a notebook and writing down your memories of the significant points of that conversation. One of, the, one of the values of doing this exercise is it helps test your recall. Just exactly what did I remember? And you might be surprised to remember everything you said and none of what they said. That's a good thing to know. What, what, what did they say again? And you could write everything that came out of your mouth and almost nothing that came out of theirs. Or maybe you'll realize you heard more than you realized. Sometimes when I take notes after a counseling meeting, after the person's left and I'm typing the notes, I'm like, Wow! Look at what just jumped out at me. I didn't see it at all while they were with me. But they were screaming something and I missed it. So as you do this exercise, it reinforces how good a listener am I. And if you don't have much to write, it just reminds you next time, be more engaged. Attend better. Really listen so that afterwards, when it comes time to write something down, you have something to write. I think it's a very, very practical way to learn to be a better listener. Parents, I would encourage you even to do this with every encounter you have with your children for the next couple weeks. Even if they're just three and they just scream at you, you'd be amazed if you just write down your reflections on every significant encounter, what comes out of that exercise. Try it and you'll understand what I'm talking about. So zip it up and write it down. I think God is preparing us to have some very life-changing conversations with the people in our lives. Some of those conversations will be with non-believers and some will be with people who are already right there in our lives, already Christians, but we're drifting apart. And I hope that you'll find value in this practical training we're trying to give you. Next week, we're going to learn about how to ask the kind of questions that produce real insight.
kind of questions that drive truly life-changing conversations. I hope you'll come back next week for that as well. I want to ask you to bow with me in prayer. As we said before the service started, or the message started, um, youth group is canceled. There are no other after-church meetings. So we'll end with this, this prayer time and final song, and our, our service will be done for the day. But as we wrap up, I want you to dwell on two things. First, do you feel frustrated that you're not being heard? That there are people you long for to have their ear, to have their open heart, and they just aren't hearing you. Then I'm going to ask you, rather than feeling beat up about it, ask the Lord to open their hearts to you. Ask the Lord to teach them how to be better listeners. Maybe other, it's the other way around. Maybe as you reflect, as we close here, you're realizing that I'm not a very good listener. I'm full of opinions and indictments. I've got everyone figured out, but I really don't give anyone a fair chance to show me who they are. There's this frustrated person I love right there in my life, and I keep shutting them up by not listening to their heart. And I want you to imagine what it's like to be in their shoes, how badly they want you to just really hear them and understand. So whichever side of that you may find yourself on, maybe depending on the relationship, you're on both sides. Let's go to God in prayer because he's the only one who can make a difference here. So let's ask him to make all of us better listeners. Let's pray. Thank you very much for that. I'm going to choose to see it as eight months early rather than four months late. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Before I preach, I just want to let all the parents of youth group students know that the youth group leadership has made the call to cancel youth group after service today. So there will be no youth group service after our service is done here. So please be mindful of that and take your teens straight home. Um, I want to start just by saying, as has already been said a couple times, thank you for battling the elements and showing your commitment to the Lord and to one another. Uh, I've been so humbled and encouraged by your devotion to Christ this morning. And I know others, you know, today's the snowfall was very regional. Some parts got really dumped on other parts. Uh, the snow got cleared a little earlier. And so some people, I think, have made the very wise choice not to risk it and to stay indoors. But we have put out the call that everybody in our church family at 10 o'clock would just set their time aside and be focused on worshiping the Lord so that together in spirit, we are in front of God as one family. Thank you for being here this morning. And I hope that you will really be encouraged by the intimacy that we share this morning. We've been working through a series on how to have life-changing conversations. And in one sense, that's code for evangelism, meaning evangelism is really not about selling people something or trying to convert somebody from one lifestyle to another. It is about engaging in a conversation where a person, through the course of that dialogue, comes to see God differently and meets Jesus Christ the Savior in a very deeply personal way. And so we've been trying to train you because even though we say those things, 
it's not always that easy to know how to strike up a conversation and how to engage others, whether outside the faith or even inside the church. I think conversation, real conversation, is a lost art today. And so we're trying to offer some practical and biblical guidance on how to do that better. And this morning, I want to look at the the art of listening. Because I think listening is definitely a dying art. Would you guys agree with me that we live in a country it's very high on noise and talking and very low on really listening to what other people are saying? So I want to look at James's admonition this morning that comes from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. Here's what it says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Later this evening, most of us will be watching Super Bowl 49, right? Who's not going to watch the Super Bowl today? Anybody just planning to boycott it all together? All right, that's fine. God bless you. I am going to be watching that Super Bowl. And if you're looking at the sidelines, you're going to see something that looks kind of like this. Have you ever noticed these guys? That is really grainy looking, but it almost looks like a Minecraft picture. But it's basically a guy on the sidelines pointing a parabolic microphone. Do you know what that is? There's basically a giant salad bowl with a microphone just embedded, floating right in the middle of it. And the way it works is it focuses incoming sound waves so that all the sound coming from the direction you're pointing at will come bounce off the inside of the bowl, get focused at one point, and that's where the microphone is. So it's like a telescope for the ears. And using this parabolic mic, they're able to aim it at the players, and you, could be, you would be amazed at the way it picks up individual voices in the midst of all the chaos of an NFL game, in the midst of all that noise, when you focus the listening, you're able to pick up things you would not believe you can hear, and it has everything to do with the focus. That voice is not louder, it's just being heard in a very intentional way. And I think it's a good illustration for the way we need to learn to grow in listening is that it is such a noisy world that if you're going to hear anything at all, truly hear what other people are saying, where they really are in life, you're going to have to focus the way that you listen. In in his admonition, James says, let's look at it again, be quick to listen and slow to speak. That word quick is the the Greek word from which we get the English word tachometer, tachometer. Okay, And so really what he's saying, it's about a burst of speed, revving it very high. Every time you get a chance to listen, pedal to the metal, step on the gas, you should be very quick to listen, and you should be riding the brake when it comes to speaking. And the truth is, you have all gotten, you know it's the same for me, I've gotten into more trouble with my mouth than with my ears. Wouldn't you agree with that? I have sometimes misheard things and made a mistake. Oh, so stupid of me. I heard it wrong. And I've gotten into some trouble. But I've gotten into far more trouble with this thing. There are times when I say a thing and I'm like, oh, I really wish I I wouldn't have said that. You know what I'm talking about. Even as the words are escaping your mouth, you know you're in for it. That was a really big mistake. And so he's saying, in light of this, be wise And learn to shut up 
and be much more hesitant to talk and much more anxious to listen. If you do that, if you approach life this way, things will go better for you, you'll have better relationships, and you will grow in wisdom and understanding. And I'm going to share with you uh, from this passage a few observations about different aspects of the art of listening, but I want to give this caveat right away, this disclaimer. I I have a lot to learn about being a good listener. In preparing this message, it has occurred to me just how much room there is for me to grow in this art of listening. I find it very difficult sometimes to not talk and to really hear what somebody in front of me is really trying to say. And so I want to encourage you to tune in with me this morning and consider just how good a listener are you. And by the way, quiet people, please don't make the mistake of thinking that because you already don't talk much, you're a good listener. It's separate skills. It's great that you've already majored on the not talking part, but I want to really encourage you, grow in the listening part as well. Be attentive to these words. The first observation I want to make is that listening is loving. Listening is loving. I really believe that to listen to another human being, really listen to them, is one of the kindest acts of love we can demonstrate in our present culture. James begins this passage by reaching out to his audience with a very, very intimate greeting. He calls them dear brothers and sisters, which if you translate it differently, says those who I deeply love with an unconditional love. What he's really saying is, You are not just people to me, you are my family. The way a person might think about the brother or sisters they grew up with that they truly deeply loved. And he's starting with this intimate tone because what he's saying is, as he trains us to listen more and speak less, it's not because he's trying to teach us how to have better relationships, but he's trying to tell us basically, this act comes not out of concern for ministry, it's not a skill, but it arises out of a deep love we have for other people. I think in, in our world today, most people are very, very happy to give you their words, their opinions, their viewpoints and thoughts, but they're not as interested in receiving the same things back from you. Do you ever feel like that? Like you're being talked at all the time, but when it comes to your turn to really express your heart, nobody seems that interested in you. That after your friend has basically spewed at you and told you everything on their mind, everything on their heart, you're like, yeah, I also, yeah, that's great. Thank you for listening. And they just kind of want to move on. Uh, Not everybody has that experience, but I think more and more people are feeling that isolation and disconnection from other people. That it's one of the reasons so many people experience deep inner tension. They experience emotional trauma because nobody is listening anymore. Parents, can I just challenge you? I know not everyone here is a parent, but everybody has a parent, and you know exactly what it felt like to be on the other end of this. It is so common for parents to just stop listening, really listening to their kids. 
Because we're always going to be older than them, smarter than them. We have them figured out. We know your tricks. We know all your angles. There you go again. Oh, my gosh. And parents do this. The only reason some of us are married is to have someone to roll our eyes at, right? Like, oh, Lord. Just an inside joke. Look at, there they go again. Here he comes. He's going to ask for dessert. And when he doesn't get it, he's going to come ask you. Just watch. Just watch. And there it goes. And so we've got our kids figured out. And at some point, we check out and we really just stop listening. And the person is growing, they're evolving, they're struggling to be different, but nobody is listening. And so they struggle with this feeling that it doesn't matter if I have a voice, it's not useful in this world because nobody is listening to me. It's so rare to be listened to today that people are willing to spend like $150 for 30 minutes with a shrink just to pay somebody to listen to them. And I just watched, in preparation for this week's message, I watched that classic Bill Murray movie, What About Bob? Man, what a film. It, at, at one level, it's so stupid. At another level, it is genius. It is so insightful and complex. I would really encourage you to watch that movie. And I realized these psychi- psychiatrists, psychologists, they, they make money just listening and asking questions. They almost never say anything. They're just like, what do you, what do you think about that? Why do you think that's happening to you? And how does that make you feel? And as they do this, what the real value is, finally, someone on this planet is letting me take the stage and they're listening to what I have to say. I think one of the reasons we're not that good at listening is that we are very uncomfortable with the pain of others. Would you agree with that? When somebody's very, very sick, how many of you just love going to the hospital on that visit? Hey, listen, um, my relative is very sick. Will you come visit with me? How many of you are like, awesome, I'm going to cancel all my plans. I love visiting very sick people in the hospital. It's uncomfortable. When somebody just went through a a hard divorce, when somebody's kid ran away from home, when they've been in a terrible accident, when they lost their job, when anyone's going through pain and suffering, that pain in other people's lives makes us feel very uncomfortable and unsure of ourselves. And I think because of that discomfort, so often our impulse is to just jump right into repairing or fixing or rescuing. Ooh, man, that's i got to do something for you right now. Can I just give you something? And often what we'll do is we'll give people logical explanations. You know why I think that's happening is, well, let me tell you, if you try this, maybe, and we're trying to fix it or explain it, sometimes just give them pat answers. Just one-line truisms we heard on a poster or a radio show, read on a blog. Sometimes you're trying to give them relevant analogies. You know, that reminds me of something else. I heard once on the radio something like this, and the person's like, what are you talking about? I'm pouring out my heart, and you're trying to deconstruct me. You're trying to analyze me, fix me, but really I'm dying right now. I'm in pain, and what I really need is someone to just let me be in pain while you sit next to me and hear me out. What's worse, sometimes we tell them a story about our own lives. That reminds me of the time I was sick. Let me tell, And we make it about us, and the other person is shriveling away because even in their pain, we're making it about our story. And I think the reason we're so quick to do that is because it's really uncomfortable to just sit in the presence of another person's pain. I felt it as a rookie pastor. I'm the person you call when you're, when you're a one-pastor church. 
There's one guy you call when you're sick or when your relative is sick or your parents are sick. And I had to go to the hospital all the time. And I got to tell you, when I was a young pastor, I was so intimidated by the, um, what do I say? What do I do? What if they go, can you heal this guy? No, I, I, I can't do anything. And I've learned to be much more at home and at peace in those settings. But I understand just how hard that is. One of the greatest loving acts we can give to a person who's struggling is our quiet company. Our patient, empathetic silence that says, I am listening to you. Tell me exactly what you're going through. I just want to hear so that you're able to give voice to everything you're going through. And it may not seem like it because in a therapeutic society, some of us are already thinking, well, what good is that? Just because they go droning on and on about their pain doesn't mean it's going to get any better. We understand that. But some pain cannot be fixed very easily. Some pain has to be ridden out. It's got to run its course. You can't just make it feel better. When someone's got a long-term illness, you can make them feel better for like a minute, but that illness is still right there. It's going to be done when it's done And you cannot shortcut it at all. And that's why even though we want to fix everything, there are a lot of things in life that simply cannot be repaired. They must be endured so that God will use it to reveal himself in our lives. That's why it's such a loving act simply to be quiet and listen. Because even that alone, before you offer any therapy, is something that a suffering heart longs to have. Is just someone who will let them share the pain that they're feeling inside. Does that make sense to you guys? And I I think women say this to men a lot, and we really just don't get it. I know you're saying that, but I can't just listen to all this and not fix it. I, I can fix your problem in like one second. Stop being a friend. Done. You're so mad at all the time. Stop being a friend. Bam. Problem solved. High five. Let's go eat. No one's going, yeah, I hate her, but I want to be her friend. I really like her. I miss her. It's so complicated. I don't get it. But the man wants to fix. And I think women are trying to teach men all the time, shh, let me just spew. And just let me be in pain. Can I just flip it around, though? And for those of you who are in pain, can I caution you to be wise in how you share your pain? If you're hurt, be hurt. Don't be angry. <laughs> if you're hurt, be hurt. Don't be bitter. You see, sometimes I go to minister to somebody who's going through a very hard time, and what I get instead is they are just spewing out venom and bile towards another person. And I get it. That person has caused a lot of their pain, and there's so much anger there, but it puts me as a listener in a very awkward position. Do you see that? Because I've come to listen to you, and you're just going, that person, they should go to hell. I hope they die. And they're saying all these horrible things. And I'm going, if I just sit there and be like, "Mm -hmm, I'm agreeing with you. That person didn't hurt. I don't want to be in the position through my silence of agreeing with your bitterness and venom because that bile that you're feeling is not helping you at all. You can hate all you want, but it doesn't erase the pain. And that's why what I want to say to people in pain is, yes, you're entitled to your anger, but when you spew it out to others who want to minister to you, you put them in the worst possible spot. 
Because they're no longer seeing your pain, they're only seeing your darkness. Wives, there's a tip for you. Wives and girlfriends, if you're hurt, say, I'm hurt. Don't say, you're an idiot. You did this and you did that and blah, blah, blah. You do that to a man, he's going to be on the defensive. He's going to fight you, but if you go, I'm hurt, he's going to come rescue you. Because that's what a man does. A crying woman is going to get a man's attention, unless he's a sociopath or a complete jerk, which some men are. When you're hurt, be hurt. Don't be angry. Because your anger will push away those who are trying to hear your heart and your story, who are trying to see past your anger to the actual pain you feel. And I'm going to tell you right now, it makes it so much easier to invite ministry and friendship and company if you push away the venom and you focus on what you're experiencing. And if you're in the position of a listener and somebody's just vomiting on you about another person, here's what I've learned to say. Hey, can we just take a time out? I get very much that you're upset and you have every right to be, but I'm really here with you and I'm here for you. Why don't you share with me what you're feeling right now? Share with me what you're going through. I'm here for you. That other person's not even on my radar right now. So tell me about your heart. And if you just say that to somebody, it calms them down all the time. They go, you know, you're right. Why am I giving this person more airtime? Forget them. Let me tell you what I feel. I feel deeply betrayed. And so on and so forth. Listening is an act of loving. Listening is also an act of learning. Listening is an act of learning. If we're already a noisy society, another flaw in our culture is people don't really like to learn that much, do they? We hear a lot, but learning is in short supply. And I think we need to recommit ourselves to being lifelong learners in every way. Communication is difficult because in all communication, there are two sides of that equation. There's the transmission side, which is the blah, 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 the talking part. And then on the other end, there's the receiving side, which is the hearing part. And in that thin string that connects the two ends, all the breakdown happens. You can speak with absolute clarity and everything you say is spot on and accurate. Every word, every participle, every preposition is perfectly chosen and still someone in your life will manage to misinterpret your words. Say amen if you've had that happen to you. Anybody? If you're married, just say amen by default. Okay, I mean, might as well because it's true. You could be so clear, there's no mistaking. If you took a transcript of what you said and brought it to a court of law, every judge would side with you. And yet, that's not all there is to communication. It's not just about speaking clearly, it's about hearing clearly and being heard and understood. And so you understand that with communication, breakdowns happen all the time, usually on one end or the other. My theory is that relationships break down because communication breaks down, and communication almost always breaks down on the listening end, not the speaking end. Now granted, there are people who don't know how to talk. Every time they try to express their feelings, it's it's like they just don't know how to say what they feel. But even those people, if you give them long enough, they'll manage in their own clumsy way to tell you what's on their heart. What I find is the most common breakdown in communication is on the listening part, we're not really hearing 
what the other person is saying because we're not really interested in hearing what the other person is saying. Some of you are probably not old enough to remember what these are. How many of you remember these days? Do you remember? (laughs) Oh, man. When we had like four channels in the whole universe and there's nothing ever on. But, you know, you just, you had these rabbit ears and these things were how we got the picture. There was no cable coming out of the wall. There was just waves coming through the air and these little antennas, rabbit ear antennas, would catch the signal and turn them into television Quite often a picture that looks something like this. Do you remember the old days when you're watching a Bulls game? You couldn't even tell what number or which player. You're like, I think that's our team, right? The, the white shirts. I think that's us. Did we just score? This is how we watched the Super Bowl for years. You young kids with 4K and all that, you don't even know. This is what it was like. And so this fuzzy picture was very, very commonplace. And so you'd have to reach up and sometimes you put... Uh, a tin foil on there, and you'd aim it a certain way, sometimes both in the same direction, sometimes doing the splits. And if it was really bad, by some magic, when a human hand touched it, it got better. So you got the youngest member of the family standing by the TV going, I'm tired. And they're, if you really had a little more money, you kicked it up a notch. Next level, you, you put one of these box top sets on top of your TV to add a booster to your already existing rabbit ears. We did that because we're trying very hard to catch as much of the incoming signal as we can to make a clearer picture. And if you get less signal, you have less picture. You cannot resolve it into a clear image because you're missing something very important that's coming through the air. I don't have to explain why I'm saying that, do I? I You can all put it together. One of the greatest barriers to getting all the information, to really hearing what other people are saying to us, one of the greatest barriers is prejudice and bias. It's not like we have bad ears or too much earwax. Maybe you do. You should do something about that. But most of us, we hear just fine. We don't listen very well. The hearing is not flawed, but every time you open your mouth, I'm not just hearing your words. Do you remember that great great line by Chris Tucker in uh, Rush Hour? I almost played the clip, and I thought it's silly, so I, I didn't bother with it. He's looking at Jackie Chan. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Do you remember that line? Love that line. I wish I could put that on my phone and just play it to people. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Because there's sounds coming out. I'm forming them just right. But are you able to hear anything I'm saying? And here's the problem. When another person talks, they're never talking in a vacuum. Especially if I know them. If I've already got them neatly categorized in my life, oh yeah, you're my work friend, you're my church friend, you're my non-Christian friend, you're my dumb husband, you're my rotten teenage kid, or whatever you want to say. We've got these categories. We already have everyone figured out. We already have a theory, a good working theory of what makes you tick, what drives you, your insecurities, your hang-ups, your issues. You've already yelled at me enough, I know what makes you mad. And so as you start to talk, I'm immediately going, which category is this? They've only got three songs in their jukebox. Which one are they playing right now? And I tune out because I already think I've heard everything you have to say. This is just another version of the same old song you ever, ever say. And so the prejudice of believing I already know you shuts off that channel from you so that you cannot add anything new to my picture. I think this is the greatest barrier to really listening well is that we already think we know everybody 
perfectly. I have you pegged. I have you figured out. But I don't really. Because after I got to know you at a certain point, most of us, our habit is we check out and we really stop listening. I know enough. I can run with this now. And everything that person says is passed to the grid of my previous experience with them so that instead of being a learner, I'm just hearing what they say bounce off with all the echoes of everything they've ever said to me and it's just reinforcing an existing picture. There she goes again. Every single time we have company, she's got to go through this thing. I'm tired of it. But what if on that day she's saying, no, it's not that. I'm really going through something right now. Why can't you hear that? Parents, I think we do this to children all the time. To my kids, I just got to confess to you, I know I do that to you. I know mom does that to you. I know I do it too. You're trying to say something, and it's not what you've always said, but it's as if you're so frustrated because they can't tell that something's changed. I'm really saying something here. Why can't you hear me? And it's because we stop listening. There was a time when people believed this is as good as the picture could get. I shudder when I see non-HD even coming through cable. It gives me the chills. I can't believe for decades I watched television like that. I think it's possible to know people in HD. I just think we need to be a lot more intentional about suppressing our prejudices and really letting people talk to us. James says this little piece at the end of your, be slow to become angry. And I'm like, what does that have to do with listening and talking? I think it's because if you reach a conclusion prematurely without having all the information one of the most common responses is anger, disdain, frustration. We're so quick to anger with other people because they say a couple words and we're all like, oh my gosh, stop it! Why is it every time with you? And before they can finish the sentence, I've already reached my verdict and I'm tired of them. I'm fed up with them. I'm sick of them. And, you know, Gottman, John Gottman, I think his name is, he's one of the, the leading therapists for marriage. He says the number one killer of relationships is disdain. You know a relationship is over when one person feels disdain towards the other person. And I think that happens all the time because we hear only half of what they're saying. We got them all pegged and we can't stand how little, how petty, how stupid they are. And we shut down and we're angry, not at the situation, but at them as human beings. I'm angry that you have to be my spouse. I'm angry that you're my kid, you're my mom or my dad or my friend. I'm so angry you're my boss. How did you get to be my boss? You don't deserve that job. You're an idiot. You are a monkey wearing a suit and you're my boss. That disdain you feel is existential anger because you're looking at a person with only a sliver of data and you've already reached your verdict about who they are as a human being. You see who they are today but you don't also see who they could be tomorrow. And as a result, because we're so quick to judgment of others, we experience premature anger all the time. I think what James is warning against is the reason you're so easily angered is because you're so slow to listen and so quick to speak. 
And for those who are gifted with a quick mind and a quick tongue, you have a double whammy against you because it's so easy not just to jump to conclusions but to articulate them in ways that wither another person's soul. I could be totally wrong and make you feel terrible if I'm good with words. That's just the way it works. And so he says to us, be patient. Time out for a second and really listen to what that other person is saying. Because behind those words is a heart and a story you don't really know as well as you think you do. I've been listening to this lately. Every time I wash the dishes for my wife, I, uh, well, it's not for my wife. I just do it because I should. But I also do it because it gives me an excuse to listen to the podcast. How many of you listen to Serial? You're familiar with it? It's a story, so it's the first season, but they take an old case, a, 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 like a, a crime case that still has some weird elements to it, and they start unfolding the story one episode at a time. And this dumb podcast has got me all over the place, man. Every episode, I'm like, oh, I done did it for sure. No, it was Jay. I'm pretty sure it's Mr. S. I don't know if she's even dead anymore. I, you know, and, and you just listen to all this stuff. You go, I'm so confused because every layer, every episode unfolds something new. I don't know how police detectives do it. I mean, you meet someone, you're looking right at him, you see all the evidence that you can see right now, and you're like, oh, I know exactly what happened. I've been down this road before. And it's so easy to reach your verdict before there's any trial. You got most of the evidence, but I don't know how they escape the temptation to close the case, seal it up in a bone, and go, it's done. Even if new information comes to light, once you've decided your theory of the case, every new piece of evidence is held onto or discarded based on whether it fits your pre-existing picture. Every miscarriage of justice has happened because somebody needed to close the case and they didn't care about the evidence. The truth be damned, we got to shut the books on this one. I know what happened, never mind what I see. And I don't know how police officers can do it because it, it, it would make me nuts. I'm just an audience member and every week I'm ready to hang someone new. They all killed her. It's just so confusing because as new information comes in, my picture becomes more complete. And that's why I realize if I rush to judgment and decide too early, I'm bound to make a mistake, aren't I? I'm for sure going to make a mistake because I don't know everything yet. I think we do this to people all the time. We stop being in listening mode and learning mode, and instead we're going, yeah, I know you're trying to say that, but you're just trying to get away with it. I know what you're trying to do. It's not going to work. What if they're really changing and we're the ones not letting them? Because we have our verdict already and the new evidence is not swaying me one way or the other. The author of Godspace, a man named Doug Pollock, wrote these words. Listening is a sensitive but assertive quest really to understand someone else. It requires you to probe, explore, and reflect back what you've been hearing to ensure that you've truly understood what's been revealed to you. What he's saying is you cannot understand what another person has said to you all by yourself. It's not allowed. In order to truly understand what another person has said, they've got to affirm your understanding. 
you've got to make sure that your version of their words is their version of their words. And the only way to do that is to ask good questions, to not just be a passive listener and be quiet, but to really listen in an engaged and active way. One of the best ways to do that is to ask reflective questions. And by reflective, I mean questions that bounce back my understanding to the person who's just spoken to me so I can check, do I really have it correctly? Here are some very good comments. And by the way, if you want, I can email out these slides so you don't have to write anything down. But these are some very common reflective listening questions. Some of you are very good at doing this already. Hey, so if I'm hearing you right, you crazy, right? I mean, it's, it's a, that, don't say that last part, but let me make sure I'm tracking with you. So you're saying you feel frustrated. Is that right? Wow, you are really disappointed. What you really want me to grasp is, or it's like blank. Does that capture it? And so on. You seem to be saying, I think I hear you saying, it sounds like, in other words, what you're saying is, this is what I heard coming out of your mouth. Is it what you meant to put out of your mouth? Because if what I heard and what you're saying are different, you have the right to correct me, not the other way around. Do you know how stupid it is to have someone say something to you? You're like, no, no, that's not what you said. This is what you said. That's what you heard, dummy. But I know what I meant to say. You got it wrong. I might have said it clumsily, but I know what I'm trying to say. Stop telling me what I said. This is how we listen, is we reflect back to make sure the person speaking has the right to say to us, this is what you're supposed to hear. It's not a court of law. If they slipped on a word, they said something clumsy or ill or misguided, give them a break. That's a technical error. It's not a relational error. They use the wrong vocabulary, but they have the right to tell you what's on their mind and what's on their heart. And you should not be nitpicking over one word that they said. You're like, no, 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 no. You don't get to get away with that. You said these words. Your Honor, I said, and I submit to you, Exhibit A. She said with, not in, and I'm, I'm pretty sure she meant with. I think she knows what she meant, sir. No, no, I heard. I think she knows what she meant to say. Either you heard wrong or she communicated poorly, but let her tell you what she's trying to say. Do you get the picture? That's why reflective questions are good. They are error checks. It's debugging the conversation. It's saying, so far, hold on, here's what I'm hearing. Your pastor's a complete jerk. He's abusive. You need to change churches. Have I heard you correctly? Yeah. You're right. So far, you're exactly right. That's exactly what I'm trying to say to you. I used a totally off-the-wall example because that would never happen here. But you get what I'm saying. If you're listening, be in learning mode. If you ask a question, you should actually care about the answer. Don't ask questions and not be interested in the answer. Don't ask kids things like, why'd you do that? I already know why. You're stupid. That's wrong. When you ask a question, listen for the answer. You'd be amazed what you could learn when you do that. Let me give you one last observation. Listening is liberating. It sets people free. Let me explain what I mean by this. James explains to us 
that there is a righteousness God is after in our lives. And if we're honest about it, that righteousness is what we want for ourselves. It's life as it was meant to be. Relationships that are working right. People who are being honest and fair and just and kind. That righteousness which is described again and again in the Bible is not some oppressive burden. It is in fact exactly the picture of the way we wish the world was. It's the way we wish we were and the way we wish our people were. But it's hard to get there. And what James is saying is this premature jump to anger, this jumping to conclusions and rush to judgment because we're not good at listening but so quick to speak. That impulse is destroying relationships and it's hindering people from finding the righteousness that God is after in their lives. If we could somehow do something about this problem people could find their way to the righteousness which God desires. And this human anger is not helping at all. You can spew on someone and make them feel terrible, but it will not move either of you any closer to the righteousness which God dreams of for our world and for your life. And when you have this premature anger where you've done more talking than listening and you've figured it all out and you've jumped to a conclusion too soon, when you do that to another person, it immediately puts them on the defensive, doesn't it? Because nobody likes to be misunderstood or mischaracterized. If you try to tell me what I'm about, if you try to indict me on your understanding of me before you give me a chance to reveal myself to you, I'm not going to like that at all. I've told you the story a long time ago of a young lady at our church who she used to be one of the greatest listeners in the sermons. I, I, would, I would sometimes just stare at her preaching because she was just eating it up. And it's so encouraging to a preacher for someone to want to hear the preaching. Then one Sunday she just stopped. Like she, you could tell she's like this. And she's just waiting for the sermon to be done. And I was so hurt. I'm like, what happened? My best listener, my anchor point, hates me. What's going on? So finally I approached her and said, Sister, something's up. What's going on? Why do you hate being here? <sighs> All right. And she told me that she had walked past me like a month ago in the hallway at church and said, Hi, Pastor Dave. And I just totally, been like, whatever. And I just walked past her. And I was talking to somebody else. And that person I was talking to happened to be wealthy. And her theory was, oh, he just talks to the wealthy people because they give to the church. He's not interested in us little people, I guess. I'm not important. I don't know what she was going through, but she had this whole drama, this narrative played out in her mind, and she felt so wounded by me. And she said, you know, Pastor Dave, the reason it's hard for me to hear you preach now is because I realize what you're really like. You're kind of arrogant. You're insensitive. You don't really see us little people. And I'm just, I'm shocked. I'm like, Whoa! First of all, that's really not how I am. Or if I am, I am blind to myself. But I am so sorry that happened. Now, you can understand, this sister was a little mousy. I I imagine the way she said hello to me was, Hey, Pastor Dave. For the life of me, I tried to rack my brain. I could not remember her saying, I don't even remember seeing her in the hallway. But she played out this entire story by herself. And we were now at odds with each other. And the truth is, when she first shared that with me, my first thought was, After all these years of loving on you, being gracious to you, that one thing, and you've already hung me. That's it. That's all I get. One half strike, a foul tip, and I'm out. 
And the human side was like, I give up, man. Forget, go, go find another church where everyone says hi to you all the time. I don't need this. That was my fleshly side. I didn't say it in my outside voice. I said it in my inside voice. But then I realized what was happening is, like, she was expressing hurt, but she was doing it as an accusation. That's why I was on edge. I couldn't see her pain because all I could see was the smacking I was getting on my face. I'm like, oh, I can't tell how hurt you are because you're crushing me right now. By the grace of God, a little maturity kicked in, and I squelched the desire to rebuke her and correct her, and I just apologized. I told her it may be very much the case that I didn't see you, but I would never do that to you intentionally. You mean a lot to me. And I would never do that to you on purpose. And we made amends. We're fine. No conflict. But I'm sharing that story with you to illustrate that when you attack someone out of your pain, you will never get very far because you've put that person on the defensive. They have their dignity too, whether justified or not. A person will not give up their dignity very easily. When you presume about another person and you create a narrative all by yourself about what makes them the way they are, you've lost that person. And they don't feel listened to or heard or understood at all. And they're going through something real, but all you see is their bad behavior or poor performance. And you're so distracted by it, you cannot minister to the pain underneath. But when you finally stop talking and really listening to what they're saying, what's happening, something amazing happens. In that loving, kind act of just listening in silence, the person finally stops defending themselves, and they're able to rest. And they're able to really begin speaking now. And here's the other miraculous thing that happens, is that when you stop talking at a person and letting them speak to you, they finally start listening to their own words as well. From the time that I started Harvest, in 20 years, I've only once listened to my own sermon recording. I can't do it. I hate my own preaching. It makes me sick. I, ugh. And part of it is my voice sounds so weird to me. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard your own voice in a recording? You're like, who is that dweeb? Oh, man, is that really how you all hear me every week? How do you do it? I sound like a dork. My own voice sounds foreign to me when I hear it played back. But for most people, they can't hear their own voice because everybody else is too busy shouting them down. But when everyone shuts up and there's this weird silence, the person starts to talk, and for the first time, they are hearing their own words, and sometimes... The very person you've been trying to fight with and battle with and convince, they go, dude, what I'm saying is whack. Now that I'm hearing myself, I sound like an idiot. Where am I getting this stuff? When other people stop attacking you and you have to be defensive, you can actually hear what you're saying. And the truth is, you might talk yourself into the truth. I'm amazed when you really just listen to non-Christians what a depth of spiritual hunger is expressed, how actively they're trying to find something that makes them hope and believe. 
There's something there. And when people stop preaching at them, just listen to what they truly believe, what they're hoping for, dreaming of, they can finally start to, to, to put words to their own beliefs. And once in a while, you hear a non-Christian say something like this. Well, now that I'm just saying it out loud to you, it sounds really goofy. When I say it to myself, it kind of makes a lot of sense. But once I said it out loud, it sounds really weird to me. Maybe I should give it a second thought. We're receiving a lot of input from a ministry called Q Place. It's a ministry that helps people form conversational groups where non-Christians outnumber the Christians at least by a factor of two or three to one. And in these groups, there's no preaching, there's no dogmatic, like, proselytizing, preaching. What happens is it's truly a conversation where people just get to share what is it you really believe about things. And in that safe place of listening and speaking, people finally get to start hearing their own words. And I want to play you a video clip. Q Place got permission from one of these groups in Denver to tape all of their sessions and use them for public consumption. It's pretty risky. But this one group allowed cameras to be present during their meetings. And I want to play for you a clip of exactly the moment when this happens for one young man who was pretty articulate, pretty opinionated and dogmatic about his beliefs. But listen to this particular thing. And before I play the clip, I just want to show you this thing in in the Q-Place training manual. When we demonstrate that we are truly seeking to understand people and not change their points of view, we create a safe environment for them to open up at a deeper level. As they feel genuinely understood, they also begin to better understand themselves. And that's really what this clip is all about. Why don't you watch this clip? And let's start it all over because the and words yes, are real important on this yes, clip. Me. Do I need to click something? Did we just kill the video? Well, okay. We don't need to wrestle with that anymore. Let me just uh, tell you what the guy said, okay? Here's what he said. He's one of those guys who's extremely thoughtful, philosophical for his age. But then his cousin, who's a Christian, who usually has very intense conversations, was in town, and he just said, he just asked me this question, All right, seriously, dude, we're always sparring with each other. What would it take for you to be convinced? He's always got a counter for everything this Christian says. He goes, all right, you've got to to parry for every thrust that I make. What would it take? What would you have to hear or see to actually believe? And what he said is, as he thought about it, it blew him away because he realized he didn't want to believe. There was nothing. He had already made up his mind. There's nothing. It's not even about evidence or logic. He just decided there's nothing that will make me believe. 
I'm not interested. I've already decided what I believe and nothing new matters anyway. So me even engaging in this sort of pseudo dialogue doesn't matter because I'm not interested in hearing anything. I just like talking in an argumentative way. He said, just mulling over that conversation, what he realized was, I'm not nearly as open-minded and objective as I always thought I was. Because the definition of objective is that you haven't already made up your mind about everything. But that you really do want to know the truth. And if you have no answer for what would it take, then the truth is it wouldn't take anything. Nothing can move you because you're closed-minded already. Now, if I had told that young man, you know what, Jimbo, you are so unobjective. You're so pig-headed and narrow-minded. You think you're such a man of the world and a great thinker, but you don't really want to know the truth. If I said that to him, he would have fought me all day long. Says you, you don't know me like that. I am open-minded. But when everyone shut up and they just asked him a simple probing question, did you see what happens He talked to himself, and as he was talking, he heard his own words. And he realized, I don't know where I get this stuff. I gave myself so much credit, but when I hear my own voice, I'm not as noble as I once imagined I was. And it's been my experience again and again that if we are quiet long enough, so often the person we're trying to reach will reach themselves because remember this, you're not the only one at work. God is is also very much at work. And the truth will come out. I'll wrap up with two very quick life applications. Email Pastor Seth and thank him for the fourth and fifth point to every sermon. The first one is this. Try zipping it up. If you need to learn to be a better listener, try to adopt this policy for the next couple conversations. Don't make any statements at all. Unless you're directly asked for input, don't say anything. Just listen and ask questions. People are making a fortune doing this professionally. You could do it for free. Just, really? And then what? But don't talk about their situation uninvited. Try that for one conversation and see what happens. You will find yourself getting very tense and very frustrated if you're not a good listener because you're like, I get a chance to talk to you, don't I have so much to say. Everything you say reminds me of another sermon I like to deliver to you. Oh, brother, you just stepped into a big pile of it now. And as a pastor, a trained preacher, when I'm talking to people, it is one of the greatest distractions for me is everything they're saying is like, oh my gosh, the pages of stuff I could say to you about how wrong you've got it. And how much I'd like you to know the truth. That's not wrong to want people to know the truth. But I'm not sure I fully heard them. I'm just using their words as a diving board for my lecture. Because I'm so ready to talk and so slow to listen. Here's how you know you have bad listening skills. Do you find yourself finishing other people's sentences? And sometimes you get it wrong. And then I totally wanted to kill her. No, hug her. (laughs) Oh, you shouldn't finish other people's sentences because you're not them. And no one likes that. It's not affirming. It doesn't feel like agreement. It just feels really annoying. Like, shut up. I can finish the sentence myself. Maybe you offer your opinion before you fully understood theirs. Or maybe you find yourself rehearsing your next line 
And as a result, you're not even sure what they just said to you. Maybe you frequently interrupt what they're saying because you don't want to lose your great idea while they drone on and on. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you move on, can I just say something? I have a lot of these habits. (laughs) That's why I can't be a small group leader. That's why I'm not a great counselor. I just like to talk way too much. I really need to practice the gag rule. And so zip it up. And here's another little life application, a practice tip. Try learning to write it down. After every significant conversation for the next couple weeks, try getting a notebook and writing down your memories of the significant points of that conversation. One of, the, one of the values of doing this exercise is it helps test your recall. Just exactly what did I remember? And you might be surprised to remember everything you said and none of what they said. That's a good thing to know. What, what, what did they say again? And you could write everything that came out of your mouth and almost nothing that came out of theirs. Or maybe you'll realize you heard more than you realized. Sometimes when I take notes after a counseling meeting, after the person's left and I'm typing the notes, I'm like, Wow! Look at what just jumped out at me. I didn't see it at all while they were with me. But they were screaming something and I missed it. So as you do this exercise, it reinforces how good a listener am I. And if you don't have much to write, it just reminds you next time, be more engaged, attend better. Really listen so that afterwards, when it comes time to write something down, you have something to write. I think it's a very, very practical way to learn to be a better listener. Parents, I would encourage you even to do this with every encounter you have with your children for the next couple weeks. Even if they're just three and they just scream at you, you'd be amazed if you just write down your reflections on every significant encounter, what comes out of that exercise. Try it and you'll understand what I'm talking about. So zip it up and write it down. I think God is preparing us to have some very life-changing conversations with the people in our lives. Some of those conversations will be with non-believers, and some will be with people who are already right there in our lives, already Christians, but we're drifting apart. And I hope that you'll find value in this practical training we're trying to give you. Next week, we're going to learn about how to ask the kind of questions that produce real insight, the kind of questions that drive truly life-changing conversations. I hope you come back next week for that as well. I want to ask you to bow with me in prayer. As we said before the service started, or the message started, um, youth group is canceled. There are no other after-church meetings. So we'll end with this this prayer time and final song, and our, our service will be done for the day. But as we wrap up, I want you to dwell on two things. First, do you feel frustrated that you're not being heard? That there are people you long for to have their ear, to have their open heart, and they just aren't hearing you. Then I'm going to ask you, rather than feeling beat up about it, ask the Lord to open their hearts to you. Ask the Lord to teach them how to be better listeners. Maybe other, it's the other way around. Maybe as you reflect, as we close here, you're realizing that I'm not a very good listener. I'm full of opinions and indictments. I've got everyone figured out, but I really don't give anyone a fair chance to show me who they are. There's this frustrated person I love right there in my life, 
And I keep shutting them up by not listening to their heart. And I want you to imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. How badly they want you to just really hear them and understand. So whichever side of that you may find yourself on, maybe depending on the relationship, you're on both sides. Let's go to God in prayer because he's the only one who can make a difference here. So let's ask him to make all of us better listeners. Let's pray. Thank you very much for that. I'm going to choose to see it as eight months early rather than four months late. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Before I preach, I just want to let all the parents of youth group students know that the youth group leadership has made the call to cancel youth group after service today. So there will be no youth group service after our service is done here. So please be mindful of that and take your teens straight home. Um, I want to start just by saying, as has already been said a couple times, thank you for battling the elements and showing your commitment to the Lord and to one another. Uh, I've been so humbled and encouraged by your devotion to Christ this morning. And I know others, you know, today's the snowfall was very regional. Some parts got really dumped on other parts. Uh, the snow got cleared a little earlier. And so some people, I think, have made the very wise choice not to risk it and to stay indoors. But we have put out the call that everybody in our church family at 10 o'clock would just set their time aside and be focused on worshiping the Lord so that together in spirit, we are in front of God as one family. Thank you for being here this morning. And I hope that you will really be encouraged by the intimacy that we share this morning. We've been working through a series on how to have life-changing conversations. And in one sense, that's code for evangelism, meaning evangelism is really not about selling people something or trying to convert somebody from one lifestyle to another. It is about engaging in a conversation where a person, through the course of that dialogue, comes to see God differently and meets Jesus Christ the Savior in a very deeply personal way. And so we've been trying to train you because even though we say those things, it's not always that easy to know how to strike up a conversation and how to engage others, whether outside the faith or even inside the church. I think conversation, real conversation, is a lost art today. And so we're trying to offer some practical and biblical guidance on how to do that better. And this morning, I want to look at the the art of listening, because I think listening is definitely a dying art. Would you guys agree with me that we live in a country it's very high on noise and talking and very low on really listening to what other people are saying? So I want to look at James's admonition this morning that comes from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. Here's what it says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Later this evening, most of us will be watching Super Bowl 49, right? 
Who's not going to watch the Super Bowl today? Anybody just planning to boycott it all together? All right, that's fine. God bless you. I am going to be watching that Super Bowl. And if you're looking at the sidelines, you're going to see something that looks kind of like this. Have you ever noticed these guys? That is really grainy looking, but it almost looks like a Minecraft picture. But it's basically a guy on the sidelines pointing a parabolic microphone. Do you know what that is? There's basically a giant salad bowl with a microphone just embedded, floating right in the middle of it. And the way it works is it focuses incoming sound waves so that all the sound coming from the direction you're pointing at will come bounce off the inside of the bowl, get focused at one point, and that's where the microphone is. So it's like a telescope for the ears. And using this parabolic mic, they're able to aim it at the players, and you, could be, you would be amazed at the way it picks up individual voices in the midst of all the chaos of an NFL game. In the midst of all that noise, when you focus the listening, you're able to pick up things you would not believe you can hear, and it has everything to do with the focus. That voice is not louder, it's just being heard in a very intentional way. And I think it's a good illustration for the way we need to learn to grow in listening, is that it is such a noisy world that if you're going to hear anything at all, truly hear what other people are saying, where they really are in life, you're going to have to focus the way that you listen. In, in his admonition, James says, let's look at it again, be quick to listen and slow to speak. That word quick is the, word, the Greek word from which we get the English word tachometer, tachometer. Okay? And so really what he's saying, it's about a burst of speed, revving it very high. Every time you get a chance to listen, pedal to the metal, step on the gas, you should be very quick to listen, and you should be riding the brake when it comes to speaking. And the truth is, you have all gotten, you know it's the same for me, I've gotten into more trouble with my mouth than with my ears. Wouldn't you agree with that? I have sometimes misheard things and made a mistake. Oh, so stupid of me. I heard it wrong. And I've gotten into some trouble. But I've gotten into far more trouble with this thing. There are times when I say a thing and I'm like, oh, I really wish I, I wouldn't have said that. You know what I'm talking about. Even as the words are escaping your mouth, you know you're in for it. That was a really big mistake. And so he's saying, in light of this, be wise and learn to shut up and be much more hesitant to talk and much more anxious to listen. If you do that, if you approach life this way, things will go better for you. You will have better relationships and you will grow in wisdom and understanding. And I'm going to share with you uh, from this passage a few observations about different aspects of the art of listening. But I want to give this caveat right away, this disclaimer. I, am, I have a lot to learn about being a good listener. In preparing this message, it has occurred to me just how much room there is for me to grow in this art of listening. I find it very difficult sometimes to not talk and to really hear what somebody in front of me is really trying to say. And so I want to encourage you to tune in with me this morning and consider just how good a listener are you? And by the way, quiet people, please don't make the mistake of thinking that because you already don't talk much, you're a good listener. It's separate skills. It's great that you've already majored on the not talking part, but I want to really encourage you, grow in the listening part as well. Be attentive to these words. 
The first observation I want to make is that listening is loving. Listening is loving. I really believe that to listen to another human being, really listen to them, is one of the kindest acts of love we can demonstrate in our present culture. James begins this passage by reaching out to his audience with a very, very intimate greeting. He calls them dear brothers and sisters, which if you translate it differently, says those who I deeply love with an unconditional love. What he's really saying is, you are not just people to me, you are my family. The way a person might think about the brother or sisters they grew up with that they truly deeply loved. And he's starting with this intimate tone because what he's saying is, as he trains us to listen more and speak less, it's not because he's trying to teach us how to have better relationships, but he's trying to tell us basically, this act comes not out of concern for ministry, it's not a skill, but it arises out of a deep love we have for other people. I think in in our world today, most people are very, very happy to give you their words, their opinions, their viewpoints and thoughts, but they're not as interested in receiving the same things back from you. Do you ever feel like that? Like you're being talked at all the time, but when it comes to your turn to really express your heart, nobody seems that interested in you. That after your friend has basically spewed at you and told you everything on their mind, everything on their heart, you're like, yeah, I also, yeah, that's great. Thank you for listening. And they just kind of want to move on. Not everybody has that experience, but I think more and more people are feeling that isolation and disconnection from other people. That it's one of the reasons so many people experience deep inner tension. They experience emotional trauma because nobody is listening anymore. Parents, can I just challenge you? I know not everyone here is a parent, but everybody has a parent, and you know exactly what it felt like to be on the other end of this. It is so common for parents to just stop listening, really listening to their kids. Because we're always going to be older than them, smarter than them. We have them figured out. We know your tricks. We know all your angles. There you go again. Oh, my gosh. And parents do this. The only reason some of us are married is to have someone to roll our eyes at, right? Like, oh, Lord. Just an inside joke. Look at, there they go again. Here he comes. He's going to ask for dessert. And when he doesn't get it, he's going to come ask you. Just watch. Just watch. And there it goes. And so we've got our kids figured out. And at some point, we check out and we really just stop listening. And the person is growing, they're evolving, they're struggling to be different, but nobody is listening. And so they struggle with this feeling that it doesn't matter if I have a voice, it's not useful in this world because nobody is listening to me. It's so rare to be listened to today that people are willing to spend like $150 for 30 minutes with a shrink just to pay somebody to listen to them. And I just watched, in preparation for this week's message, I watched that classic Bill Murray movie, What About Bob? Man, what a film. It, at, at one level, it's so stupid. At another level, it is genius. It is so insightful and complex. I would really encourage you to watch that movie. And I realized these psychi- psychiatrists, psychologists, they, they make money just listening and asking questions. They almost never say anything. They're just like, what do you, what do you think about that? Why do you think that's happening to you? And how does that make you feel? And as they do this, what the real value is, finally, someone on this planet is letting me take the stage and they're listening to what I have to say. 
I think one of the reasons we're not that good at listening is that we are very uncomfortable with the pain of others. Would you agree with that? When somebody's very, very sick, how many of you just love going to the hospital on that visit? Hey, listen, um, my relative is very sick. Will you come visit with me? How many of you are like, awesome, I'm going to cancel all my plans. I love visiting very sick people in the hospital. It's uncomfortable. When somebody just went through a, a hard divorce, when somebody's kid ran away from home, when they've been in a terrible accident, when they lost their job, when anyone's going through pain and suffering, that pain in other people's lives makes us feel very uncomfortable and unsure of ourselves. And I think because of that discomfort, so often our impulse is to just jump right into repairing or fixing or rescuing. Ooh, man, that's i got to do something for you right now. Can I just give you something? And often what we'll do is we'll give people logical explanations. You know why I think that's happening is, well, let me tell you, if you try this, maybe, and we're trying to fix it or explain it, sometimes just give them pat answers. Just one-line truisms we heard on a poster or a radio show, read on a blog. Sometimes you're trying to give them relevant analogies. You know, that reminds me of something else. I heard once on the radio something like this, and the person's like, what are you talking about? I'm pouring out my heart, and you're trying to deconstruct me. You're trying to analyze me, fix me, but really I'm dying right now. I'm in pain, and what I really need is someone to just let me be in pain while you sit next to me and hear me out. What's worse, sometimes we tell them a story about our own lives. That reminds me of the time I was sick. Let me tell, And we make it about us, and the other person is shriveling away because even in their pain, we're making it about our story. And I think the reason we're so quick to do that is because it's really uncomfortable to just sit in the presence of another person's pain. I felt it as a rookie pastor. I'm the person you call when you're, when you're a one-pastor church. There's one guy you call when you're sick or when your relative is sick or your parents are sick. And I had to go to the hospital all the time. And i got to tell you, when I was a young pastor... I was so intimidated by the. I mean, what do I say? What do I do? What if they go, can you heal this guy? No, I, I, I can't do anything. And I've learned to be much more at home and at peace in those settings. But I understand just how hard that is. One of the greatest loving acts we can give to a person who's struggling is our quiet company. Our patient empathetic silence that says, I am listening to you. Tell me exactly what you're going through. I just want to hear so that you're able to give voice to everything you're going through. And it may not seem like it because in a therapeutic society, some of us are already thinking, well, what good is that? Just because they go droning on and on about their pain doesn't mean it's going to get any better. We understand that, but some pain cannot be fixed very easily. Some pain has to be ridden out. It's got to run its course. You can't just make it feel better. When someone's got a long-term illness, you can make them feel better for like a minute, but that illness is still right there. It's going to be done when it's done, and you cannot shortcut it at all. And that's why even though we want to fix everything, there are a lot of things in life that simply cannot be repaired. They must be endured so that God will use it to reveal himself in our lives. That's why it's such a loving act, simply to be quiet and listen. 
Because even that alone, before you offer any therapy, is something that a suffering heart longs to have. Is just someone who will let them share the pain that they're feeling inside. Does that make sense to you guys? And I, I think women say this to men a lot, and we really just don't get it. I know you're saying that, honey, but I can't just listen to all this and not fix it. I, I can fix your problem in like one second. Stop being a friend. Done. You're so mad at all the time. Stop being a friend. Bam. Problem solved. High five. Let's go eat. No one's going, yeah, I hate her, but I want to be her friend. I really like her. I miss her. It's so complicated. I don't get it, but the man wants to fix. And I think women are trying to teach men all the time, shh, let me just spew and just let me be in pain. Can I just flip it around, though? And for those of you who are in pain, can I caution you to be wise in how you share your pain? If you're hurt, be hurt. Don't be angry. (laughs) If you're hurt, be hurt. Don't be bitter. You see, sometimes I go to minister to somebody who's going through a very hard time, and what I get instead is they are just spewing out venom and bile towards another person. And I get it. That person has caused a lot of their pain, and there's so much anger there, but it puts me as a listener in a very awkward position. Do you see that? Because I've come to listen to you, and you're just going, that person, they should go to hell. I hope they die. And they're saying all these horrible things. And I'm going, if I just sit there and be like, "Mm -hmm, I'm agreeing with you. That person didn't hurt. I don't want to be in the position through my silence of agreeing with your bitterness and venom because that bile that you're feeling is not helping you at all. You can hate all you want, but it doesn't erase the pain. And that's why what I want to say to people in pain is, yes, you're entitled to your anger, but when you spew it out to others who want to minister to you, you put them in the worst possible spot because they're no longer seeing your pain. They're only seeing your darkness. Wives, there's a tip for you. Wives and girlfriends, if you're hurt, say, I'm hurt. Don't say, you're an idiot. You did this and you did that and blah, blah, blah. You do that to a man, he's going to be on the defensive. He's going to fight you, but if you go, I'm hurt, he's going to come rescue you. Because that's what a man does. A crying woman is going to get a man's attention, unless he's a sociopath or a complete jerk, which some men are. When you're hurt... Be hurt. Don't be angry. Because your anger will push away those who are trying to hear your heart and your story, who are trying to see past your anger to the actual pain you feel. And I'm going to tell you right now, it makes it so much easier to invite ministry and friendship and company if you push away the venom And you focus on what you're experiencing. And if you're in the position of a listener and somebody's just vomiting on you about another person, here's what I've learned to say. Hey, can we just take a time out? I get very much that you're upset and you have every right to be, but I'm really here with you and I'm here for you. Why don't you share with me what you're feeling right now? Share with me what you're going through. I'm here for you. That other person's not even on my radar right now. So tell me about your heart. And if you just say that to somebody... It calms them down all the time. They go, you know, you're right. Why am I giving this person more airtime? Forget them. Let me tell you what I feel. I feel deeply betrayed. And so on and so forth. Listening 
is an act of loving. Listening is also an act of learning. Listening is an act of learning. If we're already a noisy society, another flaw in our culture is people don't really like to learn that much, do they? We hear a lot, but learning is in short supply. And I think we need to recommit ourselves to being lifelong learners in every way. Communication is difficult because in all communication, there are two sides of that equation. There's the transmission side, which is the blah, 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 the talking part. And then on the other end, there's the receiving side, which is the hearing part. And in that thin string that connects the two ends, all the breakdown happens. You can speak with absolute clarity and everything you say is spot on and accurate. Every word, every participle, every preposition is perfectly chosen and still someone in your life will manage to misinterpret your words. Say amen if you've had that happen to you. Anybody? If you're married, just say amen by default. Okay, I mean, might as well because it's true. You could be so clear, there's no mistaking. If you took a transcript of what you said and brought it to a court of law, every judge would side with you. And yet, that's not all there is to communication. It's not just about speaking clearly, it's about hearing clearly and being heard and understood. And so you understand that with communication, breakdowns happen all the time, usually on one end or the other. My theory is that Relationships break down because communication breaks down, and communication almost always breaks down on the listening end, not the speaking end. Now, granted, there are people who don't know how to talk. Every time they try to express their feelings, it's it's like they just don't know how to say what they feel. But even those people, if you give them long enough, they'll manage in their own clumsy way to tell you what's on their heart. What I find is the most common breakdown in communication is on the listening part, we're not really hearing what the other person is saying because we're not really interested in hearing what the other person is saying. Some of you are probably not old enough to remember what these are. How many of you remember these days? Do you remember? (laughs) Oh, man. When we had like four channels in the whole universe and there's nothing ever on. But, you know, you just, you had these rabbit ears and... These things were how we got the picture. There was no cable coming out of the wall. There was just waves coming through the air, and these little antennas, rabbit ear antennas, would catch the signal and turn them into television. Quite often, a picture that looks something like this. Do you remember the old days when you're watching a Bulls game? You couldn't even tell what number or which player. You're like, I think that's our team, right? The, the white shirts. I think that's us. Did we just score? This is how we watched the Super Bowl for years. You young kids with 4K and all that, you don't even know. This was what it was like. And so this fuzzy picture was very, very commonplace. And so you'd have to reach up and sometimes you put a, a tin foil on there and you'd aim it a certain way, sometimes both in the same direction, sometimes doing the splits. And if it was really bad, by some magic, when a human hand touched it, it got better. So you got the youngest member of the family standing by the TV going, I'm tired. And their whole, if you really had a little more money, you kicked it up a notch. Next level, you, you put one of these box top sets on top of your TV to add a booster to your already existing rabbit ears. We did that because we're trying very hard to catch as much of the incoming signal as we can to make a clearer picture. 
And if you get less signal, you have less picture. You cannot resolve it into a clear image because you're missing something very important that's coming through the air. I don't have to explain why I'm saying that, do I? I You can all put it together. One of the greatest barriers to getting all the information, to really hearing what other people are saying to us, one of the greatest barriers is prejudice and bias. It's not like we have bad ears or too much earwax. Maybe you do. You should do something about that. But most of us, we hear just fine. We don't listen very well. The hearing is not flawed, but every time you open your mouth, I'm not just hearing your words. Do you remember that great, great line by Chris Tucker in uh, Rush Hour? I almost played the clip, but I thought it's silly, so I, I didn't bother. But he's looking at Jackie Chan. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Do you remember that line? Love that line. I wish I could put that on my phone and just play it to people. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Because there's sounds coming out. I'm forming them just right. But are you able to hear anything I'm saying? And here's the problem. When another person talks, they're never talking in a vacuum, especially if I know them. If I've already got them neatly categorized in my life, oh yeah, you're my work friend, you're my church friend, you're my non-Christian friend, you're my dumb husband, you're my rotten teenage kid, or whatever you want to say. We've got these categories. We already have everyone figured out. We already have a theory, a good working theory of what makes you tick, what drives you, your insecurities, your hang-ups, your issues. You've already yelled at me enough, I know what makes you mad. And so as you start to talk, I'm immediately going, which category is this? They've only got three songs in their jukebox. Which one are they playing right now? And I tune out because I already think I've heard everything you have to say. This is just another version of the same old song you ever, ever say. And so the prejudice of believing I already know you shuts off that channel from you so that you cannot add anything new to my picture. I think this is the greatest barrier to really listening well is that we already think we know everybody perfectly. I have you pegged. I have you figured out. But I don't really. Because after I got to know you at a certain point, most of us, our habit is we check out and we really stop listening. I know enough. I can run with this now. And everything that person says is passed to the grid of my previous experience with them so that instead of being a learner, I'm just hearing what they say bounce off of all the echoes of everything they've ever said to me, and it's just reinforcing an existing picture. There she goes again. Every single time we have company, she's got to go through this thing. I'm tired of it. But what if on that day she's saying, no, it's not that. I'm really going through something right now. Why can't you hear that? Parents, I think we do this to children all the time. To my kids... I just got to confess to you, I know I do that to you. I know mom does that to you. I know I do too. You're trying to say something, and it's not what you've always said, but it's as if you're so frustrated because they can't tell that something's changed. I'm really saying something here. Why can't you hear me? And it's because we stop listening. There was a time when people believed this is as good as the picture could get. I shudder when I see non-HD even coming through cable. It gives me the chills. I can't believe for decades I watched television like that. 
I think it's possible to know people in HD. I just think we need to be a lot more intentional about suppressing our prejudices and really letting people talk to us. James says this little piece at the end of your, be slow to become angry. And I'm like, what does that have to do with listening and talking? I think it's because if you reach a conclusion prematurely without having all the information, one of the most common responses is anger, disdain, frustration. We're so quick to anger with other people because they say a couple words and we're all like, oh my gosh, stop it. Why is it every time with you? And before they can finish the sentence, I've already reached my verdict and I'm tired of them. I'm fed up with them. I'm sick of them. And, you know, Gottman, John Gottman, I think his name is, he's one of the the leading therapists for marriage. He says the number one killer of relationships is disdain. You know a relationship is over when one person feels disdain towards the other person. And I think that happens all the time because we hear only half of what they're saying. We got them all pegged and we can't stand how little, how petty, how stupid they are. And we shut down and we're angry, not at the situation, but at them as human being. I'm angry that you have to be my spouse. I'm angry that you're my kid. You're my mom or my dad or my friend. I'm so angry you're my boss. How did you get to be my boss? You don't deserve that job. You're an idiot. You are a monkey wearing a suit and you're my boss. That disdain you feel is existential anger because you're looking at a person with only a sliver of data and you've already reached your verdict about who they are as a human being. You see who they are today, but you don't also see who they could be tomorrow. And as a result, because we're so quick to judgment of others, we experience premature anger all the time. I think what James is warning against is The reason you're so easily angered is because you're so slow to listen and so quick to speak. And for those who are gifted with a quick mind and a quick tongue, you have a double whammy against you because it's so easy not just to jump to conclusions but to articulate them in ways that wither another person's soul. I could be totally wrong and make you feel terrible if I'm good with words. That's just the way it works. And so he says to us, Be patient. Time out for a second and really listen to what that other person is saying. Because behind those words is a heart and a story you don't really know as well as you think you do. I've been listening to this lately. Every time I wash the dishes for my wife, I, uh, well, it's not for my wife. I just do it because I should. But I also do it because it gives me an excuse to listen to the podcast. How many of you listen to Serial? You're familiar with it? It's a story, so it's the first season, but they take an old case, a, 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 like a, a crime case that still has some weird elements to it, and they start unfolding the story one episode at a time. And this dumb podcast has got me all over the place, man. Every episode, I'm like, oh, I done did it for sure. No, it was Jay. I'm pretty sure it's Mr. S. I don't know if she's even dead anymore, right? You know, and, and you just listen to all this stuff and go, I'm so confused because every layer, every episode unfolds something new. I don't know how police detectives do it. 
I mean, you meet someone, you're looking right at him, you see all the evidence that you can see right now, and you're like, oh, I know exactly what happened. I've been down this road before. And it's so easy to reach your verdict before there's any trial. You got most of the evidence, but I don't know how they escape the temptation to close the case, seal it up in a bone, go, it's done. Even if new information comes to light, once you've decided your theory of the case, every new piece of evidence is held onto or discarded based on whether it fits your pre-existing picture. Every miscarriage of justice has happened because somebody needed to close the case and they didn't care about the evidence. The truth be damned, we got to shut the books on this one. I know what happened, never mind what I see. And I don't know how police officers can do it because it, it, it would make me nuts. I'm just an audience member and every week I'm ready to hang someone new. They all killed her. It's just so confusing because as new information comes in, my picture becomes more complete. And that's why I realize if I rush to judgment and decide too early, I am bound to make a mistake, aren't I? I'm for sure going to make a mistake because I don't know everything yet. I think we do this to people all the time. We stop being in listening mode and learning mode, and instead we're going, yeah, I know you're trying to say that, but you're just trying to get away with it. I know what you're trying to do. It's not going to work. What if they're really changing and we're the ones not letting them? Because we have our verdict already and the new evidence is not swaying me one way or the other. The author of Godspace, a man named Doug Pollock, wrote these words. Listening is a sensitive but assertive quest really to understand someone else. It requires you to probe, explore, and reflect back what you've been hearing to ensure that you've truly understood what's been revealed to you. What he's saying is you cannot understand what another person has said to you all by yourself. It's not allowed. In order to truly understand what another person has said, they've got to affirm your understanding. You've got to make sure that your version of their words is their version of their words. And the only way to do that is to ask good questions, to not just be a passive listener and be quiet, but to really listen in an engaged and active way. One of the best ways to do that is to ask reflective questions. And by reflective, I mean questions that bounce back my understanding to the person who's just spoken to me, so I can check, do I really have it correctly? Here are some very good comments. And by the way, if you want, I can email out these slides so you don't have to write anything down. But these are some very common reflective listening questions. Some of you are very good at doing this already. Hey, so if I'm hearing you right, you're crazy, right? I mean, it's a, that, don't say that last part. But let me make sure I'm tracking with you. So you're saying you feel frustrated. Is that right? Wow, you are really disappointed. What you really want me to grasp is, or it's like blank. Does that capture it? And so on. You seem to be saying, I think I hear you saying, it sounds like, in other words, what you're saying is, this is what I heard coming out of your mouth. Is it what you meant to put out of your mouth? Because if what I heard and what you're saying are different, you have the right to correct me, not the other way around. Do you know how stupid it is to have someone say something to you? You're like, no, no, that's not what you said. This is what you said. 
That's what you heard, dummy. But I know what I meant to say. You got it wrong. I might have said it clumsily, but I know what I'm trying to say. Stop telling me what I said. This is how we listen, is we reflect back to make sure the person speaking has the right to say to us, this is what you're supposed to hear. It's not a court of law. If they slipped on a word, they said something clumsy or ill or misguided, give them a break. That's a technical error. It's not a relational error. They use the wrong vocabulary, but they have the right to tell you what's on their mind and what's on their heart. And you should not be nitpicking over one word that they said. You're like, no, 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 no. You don't get to get away with that. You said these words. Your Honor, I said, and I submit to you, Exhibit A. She said with, not in, and I'm, I'm pretty sure she meant with. I think she knows what she meant, sir. No, no, I heard. I think she knows what she meant to say. Either you heard wrong or she communicated poorly, but let her tell you what she's trying to say. Do you get the picture? That's why reflective questions are good. They are error checks. It's debugging the conversation. It's saying, so far, hold on, here's what I'm hearing. Your pastor's a complete jerk. He's abusive. You need to change churches. Have I heard you correctly? Yeah. You're right. So far, you're exactly right. That's exactly what I'm trying to say to you. I used a totally off-the-wall example because that would never happen here. But you get what I'm saying. If you're listening, be in learning mode. If you ask a question... You should actually care about the answer. Don't ask questions and not be interested in the answer. Don't ask kids things like, why'd you do that? I already know why. You're stupid. That's wrong. When you ask a question, listen for the answer. You'd be amazed what you could learn when you do that. Let me give you one last observation. Listening is liberating. It sets people free. Let me explain what I mean by this. James explains to us that there is a righteousness God is after in our lives, and if we're honest about it, that righteousness is what we want for ourselves. It's life as it was meant to be, relationships that are working right, people who are being honest and fair and just and kind. That righteousness which is described again and again in the Bible is not some oppressive burden. It is, in fact, exactly the picture of the way we wish the world was. It's the way we wish we were and the way we wish our people were. But it's hard to get there. And what James is saying is this premature jump to anger, this jumping to conclusions and rush to judgment because we're not good at listening but so quick to speak. That impulse is destroying relationships and it's hindering people from finding the righteousness that God is after in their lives. If we could somehow do something about this problem, people could find their way to the righteousness which God desires. And this human anger is not helping at all. You can spew on someone and make them feel terrible, but it will not move either of you any closer to the righteousness which God dreams of for our world and for your life. And when you have this premature anger where you've done more talking than listening and you've figured it all out and you've jumped to a conclusion too soon, when you do that to another person, it immediately puts them on the defensive, doesn't it? Because nobody likes to be misunderstood or mischaracterized. 
if you try to tell me what I'm about, if you try to indict me on your understanding of me before you give me a chance to reveal myself to you, I'm not going to like that at all. I've told you the story a long time ago of a young lady at our church who she used to be one of the greatest listeners in the sermons. I, I, would, I would sometimes just stare at her preaching because she was just eating it up. And it's so encouraging to a preacher for someone to want to hear the preaching. Then one Sunday she just stopped. Like she, you could tell she's like this. And she's just waiting for the sermon to be done. And I was so hurt. I'm like, what happened? My best listener, my anchor point hates me. What's going on? So finally, I approached her and said, Sister, something's up. What's going on? Why do you hate being here? <sighs> All right. And she told me that she had walked past me like a month ago in the hallway at church and said, Hi, Pastor Dave. And I just totally, been like, whatever. And I just walked past her. And I was talking to somebody else. And that person I was talking to happened to be wealthy. And her theory was, Oh, he just talks to the wealthy people because they give to the church. He's not interested in us little people. I guess I'm not important. I don't know what she was going through, but she had this whole drama, this narrative played out in her mind, and she felt so wounded by me. And she said, you know, Pastor Dave, the reason it's hard for me to hear you preach now is because I realize what you're really like. You're kind of arrogant. You're insensitive. You don't really see us little people. And I'm just, I'm shocked. Whoa. First of all, that's really not how I am. If I am, I am blind to myself. But I am so sorry that happened. Now, you can understand, this sister was a little mousy. I, I imagine the way she said hello to me was, Hey, Pastor Dave. For the life of me, I tried to rack my brain. I could not remember her saying, I don't even remember seeing her in the hallway. But she played out this entire story by herself. And we were now at odds with each other. And the truth is, when she first shared that with me, my first thought was, after all these years of loving on you, being gracious to you, that one thing, and you've already hung me. That's it. That's all I get. One half strike, a foul tip, and I'm out. And the human side of me is like, I give up, man. Forget. Go, go find another church where everyone says hi to you all the time. I don't need this. That was my fleshly side. I didn't say it in my outside voice. I said it in my inside voice. But then I realized what was happening is, like, she was expressing hurt, but she was doing it as an accusation. That's why I was on edge. I couldn't see her pain because all I could see was the smacking I was getting on my face. I'm like, oh, I can't tell how hurt you are because you're crushing me right now. By the grace of God, a little maturity kicked in, and I squelched the desire to rebuke her and correct her, and I just apologized. I told her it may be very much the case that I didn't see you, but I would never do that to you intentionally. You mean a lot to me, and I would never do that to you on purpose. And we made amends. We're fine. No conflict. But I'm sharing that story with you to illustrate that when you attack someone out of your pain, you will never get very far because you've put that person on the defensive. They have their dignity too, whether justified or not a person will not give up their dignity very easily. When you presume about another person and you create a narrative all by yourself about what makes them the way they are, you've lost that person. And they don't feel listened to or heard or understood at all. 
And they're going through something real, but all you see is their bad behavior or poor performance. And you're so distracted by it, you cannot minister to the pain underneath. But when you finally stop talking and really listening to what they're saying, what's happening, something amazing happens. In that loving, kind act of just listening in silence, the person finally stops defending themselves and they're able to rest. And they're able to really begin speaking now. And here's the other miraculous thing that happens. Is that when you stop talking at a person and letting them speak to you, they finally start listening to their own words as well. From the time that I started Harvest, in 20 years, I've only once listened to my own sermon recording. I can't do it. I hate my own preaching. It makes me sick. I, ugh. And part of it is my voice sounds so weird to me. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard your own voice in a recording? You're like, who is that dweeb? <laughs> oh, man, is that really how you all hear me every week? How do you do it? I sound like a dork. My own voice sounds foreign to me when I hear it played back. But for most people, they can't hear their own voice because everybody else is too busy shouting them down. But when everyone shuts up and there's this weird silence, the person starts to talk, and for the first time, they are hearing their own words, and sometimes the very person you've been trying to fight with and battle with and convince, they go, dude, what I'm saying is whack. Now that I'm hearing myself, I sound like an idiot. Where am I getting this stuff? When other people stop attacking you and you have to be defensive, you can actually hear what you're saying, and the truth is you might talk yourself into the truth. I'm amazed when you really just listen to non-Christians what a depth of spiritual hunger is expressed, how actively they're trying to find something that makes them hope and believe. There's something there, and when people stop preaching at them, just listen to what they truly believe, what they're hoping for, dreaming of, they can finally start to, to, to put words to their own beliefs. And once in a while, you hear a non-Christian say something like this. Well, now that I'm just saying it out loud to you, it sounds really goofy. When I say it to myself, it kind of makes a lot of sense. But once I said it out loud, it sounds really weird to me. Maybe I should give it a second thought. We're receiving a lot of input from a ministry called Q-Place. It's a ministry that helps people form conversational groups where non-Christians outnumber the Christians at least by a factor of two or three to one. And in these groups, there's no preaching, there's no dogmatic, like, proselytizing preaching. What happens is it's truly a conversation where people just get to share what is it you really believe about things. And in that safe place of listening and speaking, people finally get to start hearing their own words. And I want to play you a video clip. Q Place got permission from one of these groups in Denver to tape all of their sessions and use them for public consumption. It's pretty risky. But this one group allowed cameras to be present during their meetings. And I want to play for you a clip of exactly the moment when this happens for one young man who was pretty articulate, pretty opinionated and dogmatic about his beliefs. But listen to this particular thing. 
And before I play the clip, I just want to show you this thing in, in the Q-Place training manual. When we demonstrate that we are truly seeking to understand people and not change their points of view, we create a safe environment for them to open up at a deeper level. As they feel genuinely understood, they also begin to better understand themselves. And that's really what this clip is all about. Why don't you watch this clip? Let's start it all over because the words are real important on this clip. Do I need to click something? Did we just kill the video? Well, okay. We don't need to wrestle with it anymore. Let me just uh, tell you what the guy said, okay? Here's what he said. He's one of those guys who's extremely thoughtful, philosophical for his age. But then his cousin, who's a Christian, who usually has very intense conversations, was in town, and he just said, he just asked me this question, All right, seriously, dude, we're always sparring with each other. What would it take for you to be convinced? He's always got a counter for everything this Christian says. He goes, all right, you've got got to parry for every thrust that I make. What would it take? What would you have to hear or see to actually believe? And what he said is, as he thought about it, it blew him away because he realized he didn't want to believe. There was nothing. He had already made up his mind. There's nothing. It's not even about evidence or logic. He just decided there's nothing that will make me believe. I'm not interested. I've already decided what I believe, and nothing new matters anyway. So me even engaging in this sort of pseudo-dialogue doesn't matter because I'm not interested in hearing anything. I just like talking in an argumentative way. He said, just mulling over that conversation, what he realized was, I'm not nearly as open-minded and objective as I always thought I was. Because the definition of objective is that you haven't already made up your mind about everything. But that you really do want to know the truth. And if you have no answer for what would it take, then the truth is it wouldn't take anything. Nothing can move you because you're closed-minded already. Now, if I had told that young man, you know what, Jimbo, you are so unobjective. You're so pig-headed and narrow-minded. You think you're such a man of the world and a great thinker, but you don't really want to know the truth. If I said that to him, he would have fought me all day long. Says you, you don't know me like that. I am open-minded. But when everyone shut up and they just asked him a simple probing question, did you see what happens? He talked to himself, and as he was talking, he heard his own words. And he realized, I don't know where I get this stuff. I gave myself so much credit, but when I hear my own voice, I'm not as noble as I once imagined I was. And it's been my experience again and again that if we are quiet long enough, so often the person we're trying to reach will reach themselves because remember this, you're not the only one at work. God is also very much at work. 
and the truth will come out. I'll wrap up with two very quick life applications. Email Pastor Seth and thank him for the fourth and fifth point to every sermon. The first one is this. Try zipping it up. If you need to learn to be a better listener, try to adopt this policy for the next couple conversations. Don't make any statements at all. Unless you're directly asked for input, don't say anything. Just listen and ask questions. People are making a fortune doing this professionally. You could do it for free. Just, really? And then what? But don't talk about their situation uninvited. Try that for one conversation and see what happens. You will find yourself getting very tense and very frustrated if you're not a good listener because you're like, I get a chance to talk to you, don't I have so much to say. Everything you say reminds me of another sermon I like to deliver to you. Oh, brother, you just stepped into a big pile of it now. And as a pastor, a trained preacher, when I'm talking to people, it is one of the greatest distractions for me is everything they're saying is like, oh my gosh, the pages of stuff I could say to you about how wrong you've got it and how much I'd like you to know the truth. That's not wrong to want people to know the truth. But I'm not sure I fully heard them. I'm just using their words as a diving board for my lecture because I'm so ready to talk and so slow to listen. Here's how you know you have bad listening skills. Do you find yourself finishing other people's sentences? And sometimes you get it wrong. And then I totally wanted to kill her. No, hug her. (laughs) Oh, you shouldn't finish other people's sentences because you're not them. And no one likes that. It's not affirming. It doesn't feel like agreement. It just feels really annoying. Like, shut up. I can finish the sentence myself. Maybe you offer your opinion before you fully understood theirs. Or maybe you find yourself rehearsing your next line. And as a result, you're not even sure what they just said to you. Maybe you frequently interrupt what they're saying because you don't want to lose your great idea while they drone on and on. Oh, hold on, hold on. Before you move on, can I just say something? I have a lot of these habits. (laughs) That's why I can't be a small group leader. That's why I'm not a great counselor. I just like to talk way too much. I really need to practice the gag rule. And so zip it up. And here's another little life application, a practice tip. Try learning to write it down. After every significant conversation for the next couple weeks, try getting a notebook and writing down your memories of the significant points of that conversation. One of, the, one of the values of doing this exercise is it helps test your recall. Just exactly what did I remember? And you might be surprised to remember everything you said and none of what they said. That's a good thing to know. What, what, what did they say again? And you could write everything that came out of your mouth and almost nothing that came out of theirs. Or maybe you'll realize you heard more than you realized. Sometimes when I take notes after a counseling meeting, after the person's left and I'm typing the notes, I'm like, Wow! Look at what just jumped out at me. I didn't see it at all while they were with me. But they were screaming something and I missed it. 
So as you do this exercise, it reinforces how good a listener am I. And if you don't have much to write, it just reminds you next time, be more engaged, attend better. Really listen so that afterwards, when it comes time to write something down, you have something to write. I think it's a very, very practical way to learn to be a better listener. Parents, I would encourage you even to do this with every encounter you have with your children for the next couple weeks. Even if they're just three and they just scream at you, You'd be amazed if you just write down your reflections on every significant encounter, what comes out of that exercise. Try it and you'll understand what I'm talking about. So zip it up and write it down. I think God is preparing us to have some very life-changing conversations with the people in our lives. Some of those conversations will be with non-believers and some will be with people who are already right there in our lives, already Christians, but we're drifting apart. And I hope that you'll find value in this practical training we're trying to give you. Next week, we're going to learn about how to ask the kind of questions that produce real insight, the kind of questions that drive truly life-changing conversations. I hope you come back next week for that as well. I want to ask you to bow with me in prayer. As we said before the service started, or the message started, um, youth group is canceled. There are no other after-church meetings. So we'll end with this, this prayer time and final song, and our, our service will be done for the day. But as we wrap up, I want you to dwell on two things. First, do you feel frustrated that you're not being heard? That there are people do you long for to have their ear, to have their open heart, and they just aren't hearing you? Then I'm going to ask you, rather than feeling beat up about it, ask the Lord to open their hearts to you. Ask the Lord to teach them how to be better listeners. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe as you reflect, as we close here, you're realizing that I'm not a very good listener. I'm full of opinions and indictments. I've got everyone figured out, but I really don't give anyone a fair chance to show me who they are. There's this frustrated person I love right there in my life and I keep shutting them up by not listening to their heart. And I want you to imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. How badly they want you to just really hear them and understand. So whichever side of that you may find yourself on, maybe depending on the relationship, you're on both sides. Let's go to God in prayer because he's the only one who can make a difference here. So let's ask him to make all of us better listeners. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.